up our podcast this week. We're coming to you straight from San Diego for a Comic-Con special with a ton of great guests, including Ivan Reitman and the producers of Marvel's Inhumans. All that and more on the movie podcast that's been sitting down for so long it needs preparation hall H. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Emperor Podcast brought to you this week from our very own studio at the San Diego Comic-Con International 2017. I say studio, it's a room at a hotel, but a room at a hotel with style and sass and a room that's seen a whole lot of stuff happened here over the last few days. Uh, and thank you, by the way, to you, the listeners, for your patience in waiting for this week's episode. I know that it's out late, but it is Saturday night here. Uh, the con is winding down, and joining me to discuss the ins and outs and the ups and downs of this year's event are Jurassic World star, and a man who was present at his own panel, no one else showed up, Edmund, my life as a man who goes to the dinosaurs, uh, Nick Desemlian. How Hi, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. I, I'm not very well, actually. I'm, I'm extraordinarily tired, but it's been a very fun few days. Uh, yeah. I have not been mobbed. Uh, no, well, I try and mob you, but I'm, I'm just one man. What can I do? I have seen a dinosaur, a dancing dinosaur. I, I'm pretty sure it was real. I may, be, <laughs> I may be hallucinating, but I have, everywhere I go, I seem to see this, this person dressed in a full T-Rex costume. I saw Dance, the same dinosaur. Just dancing on the spot, just joyous. I've seen the same dinosaur. You're not you're not hallucinating. It's all fine. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, do you think it was there just for you because it, it knows of your history with dinosaurs? It knows that you are Edmund from Jurassic World? Let's say yes. <laughs> let's say yes. It would, that, that would be a waste of their time, but yeah, let's say yes. Let's say yes. Uh, we're very tired, by the way. We should establish this right off the bat? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll establish that right off the bat. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a tough few days, but... You, we're we're bullying through for you guys, uh, and we're joined. Not just it's not just me and Nick. We're not just we're not just doing it the two of us. Uh, we're also joined by a shadowy figure, a shadowy figure that some call James White, but I call him Jaime Blanco, our man in L.A. And a man largely in Hall H this year. How was that, uh, Blanco? How are you? Uh, hi, Chris. Yes, I am fine, but also very, very tired. And I have You indeed- don't have jet lag to contend with, mate. We got the jet lag. You just drove up from the L.A. I have Hall H lag to contend with. <laughs> I, I have spent the last two days in a darkened room. I've forgotten what the sun looks like. It's so far- Hall H is so vast, there are three time zones operating in there. It's... Uh- <laughs> It's it's a place it's a place where the likes of people dressed as Bill and Ted and the guys from Wayne's World rub shoulders yeah. with people dressed as Bacon. James <laughs> James emerged blinking from from. How many hours have you spent in Hall H today? I, I have spent approximately seventeen hours I in it, Hall H. You went in just before uh, the Warner Brothers panel today, so that's eleven thirty. Yes, uh, and you didn't emerge until after the Marvel panel, which which closed the whole shebang, and that finished about what seven about seven seven o'clock something yep. like that. Uh, so do quick calculation: no. that's seven and a half hours. It felt longer. Yeah, so it I, really felt longer. I particularly enjoyed. I asked James how it went when he emerged, blinking into the. I had to explain what the sun was to him. <laughs> and uh, my favourite thing was when you mentioned there was a man dressed as bacon who asked a question. Of Not something. Kevin Bacon, but just bacon. Just Not bacon. Kevin Bacon, just a rasher of bacon, <laughs> hanging out, asking questions, doing his thing. And that kind of makes sense. I, I didn't question it. That's Comic Con. It wasn't even a bacon-related question, though. It was just a guy dressed as bacon asking somebody from Westworld something about was, the show. Was he on a roll? Oh, that's good. That's good. What's your What's your sauce for this information? I will not sanction this buffoonery. <laughs> 
What's the best costume you've seen here at Comic Con this year? What is the is best it costume? It might be the bacon. It might be the bacon, though there are some really impressive costumes here. I mean, people absolutely go all out. There are technologically complicated costumes that look like they are massively, massively uncomfortable to wear. Yeah. I, too, have seen the dancing dinosaur, so it really, really, really is not an hallucination. <laughs> I've seen a lot of doctors, as in the main character from Doctor Who. Don't call him Doctor Who. He's not Doctor Who. As He's established, the I talked to I talked to Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat mm-hmm. only hours ago. Yep. And they both are absolutely fine with people calling him Doctor Who. Yep. That's so that's ridiculous. In your face, yep. Hammer Stephen that's Moffat even ridiculous. threw an episode uh, that I've never seen. He threw an episode title back in which the Doctor says a couple of times apparently that um, my name is Doctor Who. Apparently he signs his name Doctor W. Capaldi grew up calling him Doctor Who. He has absolutely no problems with it. At this very, very table in that very seat that you're sitting in right now, Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor, the man who's a current incumbent of the role, said that his name is Doctor Who. Suck on that, boy. <laughs> He's wrong. You're all wrong. The world is wrong. And I'm right on this talking of Talking of Doctor Who <laughs> costumes, uh, John Barrowman, uh, I didn't see this in person, but he came on stage, uh, I think on Thursday, <laughs> wearing a dress, a TARDIS dress, to celebrate uh, Jodie Whittaker becoming the 13th Doctor. Wow. In, 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 you know, in his defence, though, that's pretty much just Thursday for John Barrowman. <laughs> he just happened that Jodie Whittaker happened to, to have been hired, but um, <laughs> he, he already just, had the it dress. Worked out well, yeah. Is, I, is, is it bigger on the inside? Is, um, John, is John Barrowman bigger on the inside? Chris. So, talking of, of, of costumes, I've seen some, some really good ones. Obviously, yeah, I've seen a Predator. I've seen some Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. Um, I was interviewing Ivan Reitman uh, for this this very episode of the podcast. When, Spoiler: When three Ghostbusters walked past, uh, not Bill Murray, and got them, got him to spotted him and got him to sign their costumes. Um, I think my favourite is Carl from Up. There was there was a guy dressed. Um, yeah, you, you took it, a picture it, of that, it didn't was you? Absolutely incredible. I've seen a lot of things this year because we haven't really been out of this room uh, you or I in particular you haven't really been out of Hall H Nick and I haven't really been out of this studio the 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 fruits of which you are going to see in the next issue of Empire, in particular, I would say, uh, if you've been watching stuff, well, I did a lot of Facebook Live things uh, over in the corner of the room here on our new kick-ass little Mevo camera. Um, uh, we did a whole bunch of photo shoots and interviews with people. You'll see the next issue of, of Empire on sale, all good news and evil news agents uh, on August 10th. Uh, but. By and large, we haven't really been out. So <laughs> when we get to discussing the news that people have been seeing at this uh, convention, Blanco, you're going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Uh, I did get out for one panel, and that panel was, hey, it's me. I'm wearing Kevin Feige underpants. It was the Marvel panel. Uh, it's the, the golden ticket that ends my Comic-Con. Uh, you know, and it was, it, was, it was amazing and mind-blowing. Uh, oh, we also saw The Tick, didn't we? We saw the second episode of The Tick. We did. We did. And we'll talk about that maybe a little later. And uh, Nick, you also saw? I saw Star Trek Discovery uh, Mm -hmm. quite recently um, from right at the back of Ballroom 20. Yeah. Are there really 20 ballrooms? Uh, It it struck me. I've been coming to Comic-Con. And (laughs) my apologies for anyone who's listening to this going, this is a strange episode of the Emperor Podcast. And also, what the fuck is (laughs) Comic-Con? If you don't know what Comic-Con is, Comic-Con is the, and I'm glad we've started this eight minutes into the podcast and I'm explaining finally what Comic-Con is. Uh, Comic-Con is the world's largest pop culture festival and it is insanely big and it takes place here at the San Diego Convention Center uh, over four days, well, maybe five days, uh, every July. And it is massive. And studios, Hollywood studios, 
it's it's have have taken it over over the years and uh, bring all their wares here. Well, most of them bring their, their wares here, and uh, they show them off to 130. I think it's 135,000 adoring fans can can line the halls uh, of the convention center over uh, over that that period. Uh, an astonishing amount of people. And uh, dinosaurs, a few, few dinosaurs, and a few and a few dinosaurs as well, and bacon, and bacon. It's Sentient it's bacon. an extraordinary event. I haven't been here for the last couple of years. I've missed it intensely. Uh, when I get here, I'm largely miserable, but I also have an amazing time, and uh, I've had a great, great time this year. We've had some fantastic people coming into our our little studio here, and I've seen some cool shit. Um, but the, the, my point was costumes, and I haven't seen a lot because I haven't really been out. I've noticed that there's a propensity this year for um, women in particular, and I'm not being lascivious, I haven't been perving like Sid James, but to, to body paint themselves. Have you noticed that? Instead of going for costumes. And so I'm not sure whether that's, that's a, like a sponsored thing. Because also, some of the costumes I've seen this year, I saw a huge rocket raccoon yesterday. I saw like a six-foot-tall rocket raccoon with a massive gun. And I was wondering, is that a guy cosplaying and he's worked on that all year and he loves Rocket Raccoon and he loves Guardians of the Galaxy uh, or is it to coincide with the DVD which is coming out in August and is it some uh, jobbing actor in a suit yeah I saw some uh, Kubo Kubo and the Two Strings uh, people with amazing costumes uh, it turned out they were actually official uh, Leica kind of people who were on site so that was I a like bit disappointing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> they, oh, were, yeah. they were pretty amazing I was invited to the Like It experience. There's a Like It experience here, and I haven't been able to go yet. But uh, hopefully tomorrow, as the as the calm winds down, maybe I'll find the time to do it. I walk the floor properly. I haven't really done that yet. I haven't really. I bought one T-shirt, which really pissed off Nick because he saw it first and he wanted it. Uh, it was a Ghostbuster T-shirt, and I I nipped in there. I got it. Very upsetting. You can buy the same T-shirt, man. You can just we, we can't we wear just, the same T-shirt. I can wear it on a Tuesday. You can wear it on a Thursday. It's fine. <sighs> it's okay. Dan and I used to have the same t-shirts. Why can't we have the same t-shirts? We share everything else. We don't. Well, we don't share everything else. Um, okay, right. So as you've noticed, this is a, uh, a an atypical episode of the Empire Podcast. We're not starting with a, a question from uh, the listeners. Uh, that's going to be back next week with the, the, the show returns to its normal format. So uh, instead, we're going to start with a guest. And... Uh, uh, we wanted to start the show with a, with a man who had a great directorial career, uh, who was responsible for some of the best love comedies of all time. And we were thinking we also wanted someone whose son had also forged a great career behind the camera. You know, we looked at a ton of candidates, and then we decided that Ivan was the right man for the job. Uh, Nick, who loves Ghostbusters 2 more than he loves life itself, and indeed the original Ghostbusters, uh, went along to talk to Ivan Reitman for It Is He?, about a new Ghostbusters comic. This is interesting. And uh, and more besides in this seven-minute interview from the heart of the Comic-Con floor. Do what a seven minutes. What a se- Oh, amazing seven minutes. Uh, do enjoy. So we are delighted to be joined at San Diego Comic-Con by Ivan Reitman. How are you doing, sir? Hi. It's a madhouse here. It sure is. Uh, you, you, I mean, you're, you must be a Comic-Con hero. I just walked past some people dressed as Ghostbusters. You must be treated as a living god here. Uh, I try not to be. <laughs> I try to keep my mortality as long as I can. <laughs> so is this your first Comic-Con, or have you been a bunch of times? And actually, it's my first Comic-Con. I've always tried to stay away, and... Um, 
I used to go to 3E. I've gone, you know, a few times yeah. in Los Angeles. But uh, I think this it may be my second, actually, here. What are your impressions of, of wandering around? Well, it's fun. You know, uh, just from doing the panel, um, you know, people are real fans. They, they've appreciated the work and show an enormous amount of love and goodwill. What's not to like? It's, yeah. it's a great thing. Yeah. And you're here to promote uh, a new Ghostbusters comic book? Yeah. The, um, you know, we wanted, one of the things I wanted to try is putting the two worlds, the, world, the classical worlds of my first two movies and then Paul Feig's sort of reboot of the Ghostbusters from last year. I, I mean, I thought the movie was very funny, but I know there was an enormous amount of disappointment uh, because it was... It didn't connect to the original set of films and characters, and and the audiences felt something really missing. So I know there's a lot of talk about gender, but I actually thought the gender stuff was really not the issue. I think it was really not connecting it with the historical films. So um, I wanted to try to put it together to see how that would feel and how it would work, and I thought... Using the comic book, which has been very popular for us, um, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the uh, '80s, uh, as a as a good testing ground for the story, and certainly the most ardent fans who are also comic book collectors, were going to let us know whether they like this idea or not, and so far they've loved it. So in the, in this world, I guess there are two people who look like Dan Aykroyd and two people who look like Bill Murray. Because they were playing different characters in that. Um, yeah, if you're going to take it exactly like that, my real objective is is to not to have um, two separate universes. Make it kind of a historical thing. The Ghostbusters, the original sort of 1984, 1989 Ghostbusters came first, and then later on. Um, this group from Answer the Call have taken over. And are you, are you a bit of a comic book enthusiast? Because you're obviously involved in Heavy Metal, which is a film I, yes. I really like from Crazy well, as a, Film. As a, as a kid, I was a huge comic book fan. You know, especially those old, eerie, creepy, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, ones. Look, I like the Disney cartoons. I like DC. I was really broad. I liked Mad Magazine, which was really a, a cartoon back then. A comic book, not a cartoon. And... So, um, I, I think I understand why fans have continue to go. Yeah, and I mean, heavy metal is is a completely nuts film. I, I saw it again really recently, and it's yeah, I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah. Nothing like that had been done. I think I did it in 1987 or something, or I can't even remember when I did it. But I was a fan of the magazine, and I knew I knew the publishers of the magazine because I had done Animal House with them. It was. The same sister, uh, same uh, overall uh, company that did both magazines, and they had asked if I could help do the film, and I said sure, and really just yeah. had a great time doing it. Yeah, and just go back to Ghostbusters. I, I saw that um, recently the, the animated TV series was announced. Um, yeah, we put it on a hold. Um, we got a lot of inquiries and interest from uh, different uh, television networks to put it on and then at the last second we decided to hold on the deal and really focus on the new Ghostbusters animated feature mm. and sort of have that kick off the world and I think it's because I, I knew the animated feature was going to bring was going to at least go a long way to get back the classical story that we had originally started 
and uh, I wanted that to come first. And does having animated series and, and comic books and all this, does it allow you to go wilder with your storylines to, well, to come up with cra- yes, crazier stuff? Well, it, it gives you, it allows you to sort of uh, look into a much broader kind of thing. You know, the pressure on a live action um, comedy feature right now and the cost that's involved is, is just too much and, it, and you're always second guessing yourself. It's what's great about, you know, the IDF, uh, ID, IDW, um, you know, uh, comic books. You really can try some stuff. Because I, I know Dan uh, Aykroyd um, tends to dream big. I'm, yes. I'm a Ghostbusters 2 fan, and uh, I know that his original story for that was involved Scotland and this crazy tube that people travel in for three days, and fairies and elves and all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, and I mean, he, I think he's a genius who's got this really broad range of things that he can do and and part of the balance between Dan and Harold Ramis and myself allowed for the movie that we have to come out. Yeah. Now you haven't directed anything since uh, 2014. Uh, since you, haven't direct, you haven't directed since 2014 uh, Draft Day. Yes. Have you got anything planned? Are you, are you coming back? Well, I was working on a summer of a, a comedy based on my life actually. Oh wow, <laughs> really? The summer of Love, 1967 with a lot of music and um I almost, uh, and I couldn't put it together uh, in time to shoot la- this summer. I would have had to start it about a month ago, and I just ran out of time. So I'm going to try to put it off for next year. Is Triplets uh, still bubbling away? That's one that we still talk about in the office. Away. We're going to get a draft <laughs> in about four or five weeks, I'm told. Really? I, it seems all three actors are really serious about doing it. So this is the, the two original guys and Eddie Murphy. That is correct. I mean, the, the mind boggles at that. That sounds amazing. Yes. <laughs> well, it's either going to be really fabulous or, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it either way. Uh, final question for you, Ivan. Um, obviously, Ghostbusters toys. We're surrounded by toys and figurines and comic books, everything. What's your favorite bit of Ghostbusters merchandise? Do you have a Do you have a favorite thing? Uh, almost everything to do with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> it's so delightful and makes you want to hold it and and just play with it. Uh, it's It's not like an action uh, play toy. It's more of a cuddle. <laughs> do you own one? Do you have? Uh, oh, do you have we one? got all kinds of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a fire pole in your house, though. Uh, what I, kind of ball? A fire pole. You don't no. have a pole in your. No, but we have one in our office. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Ivan Roman, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Ivan Reitman. How how was it? Because uh, I'm not going to pretend to even... I'm not even going to listen to that. But how was it? He was very nice. Uh, yeah, I wish it had been longer than seven minutes. It's hard. I'm kind I've of amazed. I've said that before. <sighs> yeah, I'm kind of amazed that we even uh, managed to do that in the middle of the floor. Which I've is, said that before. She's like trying to do an interview in, in the middle of a whirlpool. I have said that before. Um, while dancing dinosaurs are <laughs> cavorting all around you. <laughs> but crazy. Yeah, it was good. It, was, yeah. it wasn't the deep dive into Ghostbusters 2 I've been <laughs> hoping for, but that'll, that'll have to wait for another time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's talk about movie news. There's tons of movie news. Strap yourselves in. This is going to be a big, long segment um, because stuff has happened here at Comic-Con and stuff has happened elsewhere before Comic-Con happened and we, we will address all of that. I don't remember the time before Comic-Con. I kind of vaguely do remember a time before, before Comic-Con. Um, shall we talk? Let's leave Comic-Con to the, to the end. Um, and let's start off with uh, a saying farewell to two beloved figures, um, who'd passed away this week one is John Hurd <clears throat> who I think is who passed away today at the age of 72 
great character actor. I think a lot of people will remember him for his work as, as Kevin McAllister's dad in the Home Alone movies, but there was more to him than that. He had a, uh, a great line in uh, morally skewed types uh, in the likes of Cutter's Way, which is a great film if you haven't seen that, with Jeff Bridges, um, and Cat People. He was, in, he was in the remake of Cat People as well. Um, uh, people were praising today, in particular I saw people praising his, his turn in the first season of The Sopranos. Yeah, uh, which was Emmy nominated. Uh, very, very good actor. One of those guys, one of the twenty-seven percenters, as we say in Empire, is someone who improves a film by twenty-seven percent every time they appear on screen, and just a really dependable guy. Yeah, he's in uh, Snake Eyes as well. He is in Snake Eyes. Very much like him. Yeah, he just he just popped up in a lot of things. He was always good. I liked him in The Sopranos <laughs> as well. Yeah, he was he was, he was fantastic. Uh, really, really great actor. And seventy-two years old. That's no age at all. Um, and also this week, really, really sad news that the great George A. Romero uh, passed away after a, a short battle with cancer. Um, and this one hit me hard, I'll be honest. Uh, he's uh, a director who whose work shaped my love of film and my love of horror films. And uh, we had him on the podcast a few years ago for a, a special, which you can listen to if you if you want to do that. Um, I interviewed him a whole bunch of times for the magazine. I went and set Land of the Dead, his return to the zombie genre in 2004. That was when I went and set. It came out in 2005. Interviewed him a bunch after that as well. And he was always such a lovely man. You know, the archetypal gentle giant. He was about 6'5", something like that. And he just towered over you. Uh, but he always had time for you. He always had, you know, he, always, he was very generous with his time uh, and always uh, suffered and tolerated my really, really stupid questions with, with with grace but as a filmmaker he was he was extraordinary and you know I go I gravitate naturally towards the the dead trilogy the original dead trilogy I think you know even George Romero would have admitted that the second dead trilogy wasn't as successful as the first both critically and commercially uh, but the first the, the this is a man who was a pioneer he invented an entire genre effectively with the zombie genre with Night of the Living Dead and then Dawn of the Dead and then in my opinion the greatest of them all Day of the Dead um and he was a man who was ahead of his time. He was very progressive. He cast African-American leads and female leads in horror films long before it was the norm. And uh, he was an extraordinary figure within, within horror and within other areas uh, of filmmaking as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he launched an entire genre of movie. Edgar Wright's written a really good piece, which is online. You can read about how he kind of launched his career with Shaun of the Dead. You know, Walking Dead is one of the biggest shows on TV, and that's directly inspired by him yep just um, you know I, I think the zombie genre is kind of bigger now than it ever has been and it's all it's all down to this one man which is pretty amazing yeah it's kind of amazing and I also feel you know the last few years of his career he was locked back into the zombie thing and I I do feel a little sad in a way that those movies Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead Survival of the Dead were his last films and I think he was fine. He was happy with that. He was happy with working again because it was he was really struggling to get films made after Bruiser, the film he made with Jason Fleming, which was a really good film, but didn't didn't do anything at the box office, and I don't think was particularly well received critically. And he was one of those that the generation of directors like John Landis and Joe Dante and people like that, John Carpenter, who for some reason are really really struggled and are really struggling to get films made. And so whenever the zombie revival happened. He obviously was invited to come back into that and the godfather of, of gore, the dawn of the dead, whatever you want to call him. 
and uh, he, he, he jumped at the chance and he made three films and uh, you know I'm, I'm glad that he was getting films made and getting work done but but there was something there was always more to, more to George Maryland zombies and he always had more to say and he he was someone who always I think pushed against Hollywood a little bit and I would have loved to have seen some of the pet projects his his version of the stand you know uh, come to the big screen but uh, what a what a body work and uh, he was a guy who just inspired entire generations of other filmmakers the yeah. outpouring of love for this man on Twitter everywhere else one of the nicest moments I have to say of, of Comic Con this year was uh, listening to uh, Greg Nicotero who of course got his start with with, with George uh, just paying paying sort of homage to this man just just explaining what an impact it had on his life and his career and there are people from Edgar Wright all sorts of people just just absolutely praising him for for being so groundbreaking for spinning gold out of the thriftiest of budgets and for just inspiring so many filmmakers love of movies themselves and getting them into the business Tom Savini as well um, I think it, their first collaboration was Martin which is 1978 you mentioned things other than zombies that was a vampire film mm-hmm. I think of course, yeah, yeah. I think Romero once said that was his favourite of his own films yeah, which is interesting it, so that's it, definitely worth hunting that down and having a look yeah it's certainly it's certainly one that, that, that has really um, popped up again and again this week on Twitter people going you know he's, there was more to George Romero than, than three greatest zombie movies of all time um, uh, yeah Martin's a fantastic film uh, Creep Show's got this lovely kitsch sensibility going on. Uh, if you want to see a young Ed Harris dancing, you could do a lot worse than watch Creep Show, uh, which has got these incredible turns from Leslie Nielsen and young Ted dancing, and it's just a lot of fun. There's Monkey Shines, there's a Stephen King adaptation, The Dark Half. Um, I'm probably forgetting some because I'm doing this off, off the top of my head. Oh, Night Riders, Night Riders, my God, Night Riders, uh, which is a, a film that I think is probably closest to his sensibilities than uh, than than maybe the horror stuff. <clears throat> and uh, it's a completely bizarre film. It's got Ed Harris in it. It's a modern day Arthurian legend, but with people who ride motorbikes. And it's uh, it's it's if you can check that out, it's it's really really great. But yeah. I mean, for me, it's the horror stuff. For me, it's the, it's the zombie stuff. Um, Dawn of the Dead blew my mind when I first saw it. It, it you know, uh, it absolutely blew me away, and it's fantastic. And the soundtrack is great to this day, and everything about that film is, is amazing. But 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 it's Day of the Dead. It's Day of the Dead for me, and uh, uh, which is a really bleak and I think really alarmingly prescient film <laughs> with one of the great villains and one of the great zombies in Bub. Uh, so you know, check it out if you haven't seen any of the Romero films. Check that out. And of course, the same day, uh, it was announced that Martin Landau had also passed away. The great Oscar-winning Martin Landau. He was uh, an amazing man. He was a, a, a character actor in many ways, but who could do such things with his character work that he became one of the most memorable of that genre, uh, an Oscar winner mm-hmm. for Edward for his magnificent performance in Edward, and also That's, one yeah. of the one of the most sort of memorable things about him was he turned everything back around and tutored other actors. He he was a big part of the actor studio, and he he taught so many actors. Taught Ted Nicholson, he did, yeah, and Oliver Stone. That that one didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> you can't win them all. You can't, yeah. <laughs> But, um, he went another way, Oliver Stone. He he went in a different direction. He but, did okay. Yeah, yeah. But he could he could do everything. He could do you know very likable sort of gentle character on screen, uh, like Edward, and he could play a, a 
dastardly villain like he did in North by Northwest. Like mm-hmm. he had such an incredible range, uh, but he was always just brilliant in, in whatever he popped up in. So, um, crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, it's crimes one of my and misdemeanors. Favorites. I got Absolutely. to see that on the big screen recently. Yeah, yeah. Mission Impossible, Space 1999, a show I grew up watching. Me too. Particular uh, favorite. Yeah, as well. Uh, and of course, because it's me, I got to mention the fact that he was in Columbo. I gotta mention it. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. He was in, uh, I believe it was season two, season two episode. Uh, he plays twins. He plays twins. And uh, yeah, they both did it. And um, yeah, he was very, very good in that, going up against Peter Falk. But Columbo got him. Columbo got him. I always, uh, uh, yeah, I have a soft spot for his uh, cameo in Entourage, which I think is uh, one of the best. Uh, he doesn't play himself. He plays a doddery, out-of-touch producer who okay. no one wants to make a movie with and needs catchphrases. He says something you might be interested in and everyone's trying to get out of the room with him, but he's just very, very funny in that. So, Oh, man. What a week. What a week. Martin Landau, George Romero, John Hurd. Uh, great talents all. And we're very, very sad to see them go. Um, and also, uh, in pre-Comic-Con news, I thought it definitely touches upon Comic-Con, it is in Comic-Con's wheelhouse, is the news that uh, Peter Capaldi is passing the torch. We knew that was going to happen. We knew that he was going to regenerate in the Christmas special uh, this year. And uh, the smart money, I think, was on finally there being a female doctor or a black doctor. Um, and they revealed it on Sunday during the Wimbledon final. After the Wimbledon final, actually, during it would have been weird, um, although it was a bit of a possession for Roger Federer. Uh, and they, so they could have done it and not really missed a beat. Uh, and Sue Barker, did you see it? Did you see it? I did not. Sue Barker, uh, who's a presenter of Wimbledon, BBC Wimbledon, uh, clearly not giving a shit, uh, went, well, let's try and find out who number 13 is. And then unlike the previous uh, time when Capaldi was announced, where they had a TV show with people who clearly didn't know anything about Doctor Who on to talk about it like I think One Direction were on that show I can't remember um, and then they unveiled Capaldi and it was a big big deal this was just a pre-shot sequence where the new Doctor picks up the key to the TARDIS and the new Doctor is the new Doctor is Jodie Whittaker and who's he is he is this, this Jodie because it can't be a woman right I mean that would be the doctor cannot be a woman that's madness it's, isn't it's, it it's fair to say that it, it may in some ways have broken the internet there were an <laughs> awful lot of dribbling blokes who decided to launch themselves upon mm-hmm. YouTube comment pages and anywhere you can make your voice heard on the internet to saying claim, things like it's Doctor Who not Mrs. Doctor Who yes and oh no will the TARDIS now have a room for bras oh my god <laughs> that's quite a good one the best comment I saw the best because yes, it is a woman. It's Jodie Whittaker is a woman. What? Um, uh, so the new Doctor Who is a woman. First time ever. Blanco, you're the Doctor Who fan. It's uh, the first experts. time. The first time the Doctor has been a woman. Though technically, um, the character did become a woman in the form of Joanna Lumley in the comic relief spoof, uh, The Case of Fatal Death, written by current and now outgoing showrunner Stephen Moffat. This is why we bring you in. This is it. You got you, you know this shit. This is amazing. Um, but yeah, so it is the best. The best comment I saw about Jodie Whittaker, the best ridiculous comment from a jumped up man baby, was time travel is for men. <laughs> yes, it's 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 extremely difficult to believe <laughs> that the time traveling two hearted, uh, an incredibly ancient alien could be a woman. 
wow, that really stretches the boundaries of reality there. That that's really the, That's just, the bit they couldn't That's the breaking into, point. Yeah. That was the breaking point. There were clues. I mean, in the last series, there was a bit of dialogue between um, the Doctor and his companion, Bill. Um, she says, uh, Time Lord's a bit flexible on the whole man-woman thing. And he says, we're the most civilized uh, civilization in the universe with billions of years beyond your petty human obsession with gender and its associated stereotypes. So I, they were setting it up. I we've think, even we've seen we've seen Time Lords become Time Ladies. We've seen Time Ladies before. And, uh, of course, the Master, uh, John Sims' version of the Master, the Doctor's big enemy slash old friend slash mm. whatever, has uh, regenerated into uh, the character of Missy. Uh, played by Michelle Gomez. So yeah, Jason Isaacs at the at the Star Trek panel today. Jason Isaacs said, "Female Doctor Who, uh, female lead of a Star Trek show. Now we just need a female president of the United States. And it's the full <laughs> house." So he said, two out of three. I don't know, guys. I don't know about this. This feels like it's pushing the envelope a little bit too much. There's just polit- it's political correctness gone mad, is what it is. Is that is what's happening? No, this is fantastic. But you know, it's 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 Peter Capaldi, not Petra Capaldi. It's a TARDIS, not the TARDISn't. Um, I'm not the world's biggest Doctor Who fan or the world's biggest Doctor Who watcher, but I will certainly watch the first episode, at least, that Jodie Whittaker is in, uh, because she's an amazing actress. She's fantastic. She, ever since I, I think I first saw her in Phoenix, Roger Michelle's Phoenix, a few years ago, she's phenomenal in uh, the likes of Broadchurch. She's really, really great in that. Um, I'm not sure if I can say that I've seen an upcoming movie in which she stars with Paddy Considine, uh, but if I had seen that movie, I could tell you she's amazing in that as well. Yeah, she's a fantastic actress. She she can play everything. She can be bubbly. She can be sensitive. She can be dramatic. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think she's going to be great. She can be timey wimey. She could be timey wimey. And uh, Broadchurch, of course, this is where I push my spectacles if I wore them uh, up my nose. Uh, Broadchurch, of course, is where she worked with Chris Chibnall, who is the guy who's going to come in and take over writing and producing Doctor Who for the next however many years. It's really interesting because the Christmas, the upcoming Christmas special. Uh, will be uh, directed, will be Stephen Moffat looked after, but then he's handing it over, so the end of the episode will be made mm-hmm. by the new showrunner. Chris. He's yeah. regenerating into Chris Chibnall. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder if you can tell the exact point where they start using different camera lenses. Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I figure the regeneration bit's probably going to be the giveaway there. That, that, yeah, you might be right. Yeah. yeah. But this, this is, this, I, again, this is, I think the furore over this is ridiculous. Stop being man, baby. Stop getting upset because, you know, women are playing... Uh, roles you think are designated for men it's stupid and um, yeah well done Jodie Whittaker fantastic um, right should we talk about some Comic Con stuff why not let's do let's, it let's do it let's talk about Comic Con stuff what's the best thing you've seen in Comic Con this year Oof. and maybe we'll get into a we'll, we'll get into a sort of brief panel by panel breakdown but uh, the best thing the one thing that just sticks in your mind well I I think I think you, Chris, and I might be in slight agreement over this, but... Is it a man dressed as bacon? I didn't see him, but I want to. I want to lick him. It, it, was, not, it was not the man dressed as bacon who I should have gone up and asked if his name was Kevin. Was he streaking? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, done. I'm officially done now. I don't, I don't want to egg you on, but that was a, that was a good pun. I'm retiring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, please. Yeah, uh, I would have to say that, that 
probably my favorite thing. And interestingly, it was something that I didn't get to see last weekend because it was shown last weekend at Disney's big D23 event, mm-hmm. uh, an event at which I was mostly in a another darkened room, the press room, and mostly was talking to people as opposed to watching footage. But uh, Marvel brought uh, what can only be described as an epic with about three capital E's sizzle reel for Avengers Infinity War in which we see most of the Marvel Universe throw down against Thanos, uh, to which Thanos, of course, replies by throwing a planet back at them. <laughs> it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. It's 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 sort of it's the it's the blockbuster you can only imagine that they could only they could make at this point. Does it's, he dribble the planet first like a basketball? Or does he, he does it, not. It's not a planet. It's not a planet. It's a. That's, is it an yeah. asteroid? Is it a comet? It's a, a moon. If, if if it's a it's a best a moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's it's an orbital body, but it's not a planet. We need Brian Come Cox on. here to, to yeah. either Brian Cox yeah. will do. Yeah. Just to, to explain what's going on. But it's it's a wonderful thing. It's it's all sorts of amazing. It's the sort of dream movie you can only imagine at this point with Marvel. It's it's Black Panther with an army. It's Captain America with a beard. <laughs> For people who like that sort of thing, uh, on his face, on his face, on his face, he's not. Yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, it's it's many it's many different things. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, meeting Thor, actually literally bumping into him. He he sort of smacks up against their uh, their ship window, and and Rocket suggests they try and get it off, much like a bug against the window. Yeah. And uh, and there's 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 lots of different amazing little things that to see. Yeah. It's uh, this. This was the the culmination of the Marvel panel, which which ended. Uh, you know, Comic Con is still going on. It'll, it'll it'll go on tomorrow, but effectively, this is it. Um, and the Marvel panel is always now the has become the traditional uh, curtain closer, if that such a thing exists, um, for Comic Con. And it didn't disappoint. And I'm really intrigued to hear what the Warner Brothers panel was like with all the DC stuff and how that went down, especially post-Wonder Woman, uh, which is really uh, cool to see. But um, the the, yeah, the Marvel panel was amazing. And every every time I come back, and I haven't been to Comic-Con for the last two years for various reasons, um, which, yeah, anyway. Um, but I was just, um, I was very, very excited to be back in that room. And I always liked the Beatlemania. And it's, it's, it's always amazing to hear. I, and I have to say... I have to say that there were some people behind me who were screaming every single time a different hero appeared in the uh, Infinity War footage, like screaming, like, oh my God! Are you 100% sure it wasn't you? It wasn't me, to the point where I couldn't hear the dialogue, and it was just like, okay, I can't I get hear it. my own screams. I get it. Screams, guys. It's Captain America with a beard, and oh my God, it's Captain America with a beard! Um, <laughs> but, you know, just I a beard enthusiast. I couldn't hear what Thor was saying to the Guardians, and I'd quite like to hear what Thor was saying to the Guardians, but yeah. it's fine. The, the, the mood in that room is, is hard to describe if you haven't been in it. I mean, it's... I, might, I haven't seen the Beatles live in the 60s but I imagine it was similar um, I don't know you, James did like did the Warners do their thing where their screens wrapped around the side of the room because people the, go bananas the Warners the Warners team did indeed do that trick which they've done a couple of times before it's, it's, it's basically a big reveal where the main screen lights up and then these giant curtains pull back and these huge huge screens either side sort of pull back and do and do their thing they can throw logos up there they can throw footage up there they they for example used it to plot a timeline that charts the original from the original Blade Runner to Blade Runner 2049 which was one of the movies they brought in 
for their presentation. There's a whole lot of little details about things that happen in between the two movies that inform Blade Runner 2049, which was kind of interesting. So were people screaming at the timeline? People were not <laughs> screaming at the timeline. It, it, it has to be said that the... the Just a baffled silence. <laughs> the, the one is... When Harrison Fors comes out with a laser pointer and he's talking you through it. The, um, the one's panel... The one's panel does not quite have... It didn't quite have... It, it certainly had some moments you bring Steven Spielberg out on Hall H for uh, his film Ready Player One adapted from the book um, and and you bring Steven Spielberg out on stage and people will react to did that did he drop an F-bomb I, I heard that he dropped an F-bomb I don't remember a Spielbergian I'm going to take a scurrilous um, perhaps my, my brain simply wanted to filter it out I, because I don't I believe, believe I don't that believe. Spielberg no, I th- would I think, swear I think that was someone being, I think it was someone who's on a comic con being frivolous on Twitter right. yeah and uh, and then it was someone else later on misattributing a Denny Villeneuve quote yes to Steven Spielberg Denny Villeneuve definitely did do the uh, as I believe his, his answer to the question why did you want to make Blade Runner was I didn't want to see someone else F it up. The room, the room can get pretty. Hall H can get pretty raunchy. Fuck it up. I think uh, you know the bright panel, language. The bright panel in particular turned into Will Smith delirious, and it was like <laughs> him talking about. It was pretty funny. Like yeah, he was doing uh, some euphemisms involving magic wands and talking about the time he first had sex and how it wasn't as good as the first time he saw Star Wars, and then realised at the end that there were lots of kids in the audience and so d- apologised. <laughs> but yeah, David Ayer. Uh, swore up a storm as David Ayer is prone to do I think he came out going motherfucking Netflix (laughs) you gotta love David Ayer he's great but just effing and jeffing effing and jeffing Um, which I really want to see that as a CBB show don't you (laughs) just effing hello effing hello jeffing what are you doing today fuck knows um but the, the, uh, there was a really funny moment uh, during the uh, Thor Ragnarok part of the Marvel panel where uh, Ruffalo came out, Mark Ruffalo came out, and he went, uh, yeah, Hulk in this movie, he kicks some A. And he went, and the reason I didn't say the full word is because I've just seen in the back of this card that you must be aware that there are some people in the audience who are under the age of 18. Uh, and every, then everyone else started to say the word ass instead. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting. So we'll, we'll finish with Marvel. We'll finish with Marvel. We'll, we'll talk uh, about, let's talk about the Warner Brothers panel, uh, and let's talk about the beginning of that which was indeed Ready Player One the trailer is now out there or at least the Comic Con trailer is now out there the teaser uh, for all to see with uh, I just have to point this out with um, one of the strangest credits I've ever seen Okay. so Steven Spielberg on the trailer is hailed he's not visionary we're beyond visionary now okay we're beyond genius or legend or any of that stuff Steven Spielberg is credited in the trailer as the cinematic game changer Steven Spielberg that's fine. That's okay. You could technically say that Steven Spielberg changed cinema, right? Oh, he did. Yeah? He did. Yeah, surely. Okay, so that's good. We're all happy with that. Uh, the book itself, which is written by Ernest Klein, uh, is referred to, and I haven't written it down here, so um, I'm going off completely off my memory here, a holy grail of pop culture. Which, which doesn't really mean anything, right? I mean, a holy grail is something that people you look for very hard and mm-hmm. it's hard to find yeah mm-hmm. it may not exist mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. this book does exist we have a copy of it here yep mm-hmm. yeah it's um, here i yep. found it fairly easily yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe it's a, maybe they're comparing it to monty python's holy grail yeah. and they're just saying it's a bit silly 
Yeah. Be. I don't know. It, I, it doesn't really... I, it sounds quite impressive. I would go so far as to say, and it, this may be a bit strong, I'm a bit tired, who knows, uh, that it's the worst sentence in the history of the English language. <laughs> you haven't read Ready to Play One? I, well, I'm about <laughs> Sorry. to. Sorry. Wow. I'm no, about it's to. A, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's a diabolical sentence. No. <laughs> that should be... That should be... Uh, it just... What does that even mean? Holy grail of pop culture. What is that? Are you, are you, are you saying that they chose I'm angry. poorly? I, I, I would say that they chose poorly. Uh, but let's talk about Ready Player One. Let's talk about the trailer. Let's set it up. Blanco, you were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Tell us about it. Uh, Ready Player One is the book by uh, a guy called Ernest Klein. And it's it's a world, it's it's set in a world where essentially uh, most people like to disappear into virtual reality. There is a, a massive universe in virtual reality called the Oasis where... All for it, man for it. This is a not that oasis. Don't don't look back in anger. There's um, there is the, the world has basically become a dystopia. Uh, there are there are there are visions, and you can see them in the trailer of 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 trailers in the trailer of the stacked like skyscrapers. Uh, there is not a lot of money. There are bad conditions, and and people just like to disappear into this virtual world because you can be anything, you can do anything, you can drive the DeLorean, you can hang out with the Iron Giant, you can go to nightclubs, you can fly around in space, anything you can imagine, you can basically do. And the creator of this amazing virtual place has died, and he's left these little Easter eggs for people to find mm-hmm. and if you find follow the trail and you find everything you basically inherit the oasis you okay. basically take everything it's as if steve jobs left the sort of like the clues to his fortune and you could inherit his fortune which i'm sure his daughter probably wouldn't be too thrilled about <laughs> so yeah um, it's it's basically that and we follow a young man named uh wade watts wait what <laughs> who's played by ty sheridan are you trying to be the game changer of criticism here? <laughs> this, uh, yeah. this podcast is a holy grail of me going, uh? <laughs> we, we, we follow a young man who is obsessed with being in this, this virtual world, and he, he starts a mission to try and find it, and there are some big, bad sort of corporate people who would rather he didn't and would uh-huh. rather they did, and, and they are represented in another uh, slightly scowly bad guy turn by Ben Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. Who uh, might also be making has been making appearances on Empire's uh, Facebook Live, and and he's essentially trying to get this this the keys to the Oasis and and all the fortune and everything that that comes with for his corporate overlords. Yeah. Oh, and what time is it in the in this virtual world? Is it is it midnight at the Oasis or is it? 4 a.m. I don't. Anyway, hey, uh, it's very it's, good that you explained that to me because I got none of that from the teaser trailer. So you really yeah. wouldn't get that. There's a lot. There's a lot going on, um, not just in the world, but in the in the story. Uh, it's kind of a bit avatar-y in that it has you know some of it's going to be live action. I think I read it's going to be 40 percent live action and 60 percent set inside the the virtual world, uh, which is just. Like Scott Pilgrim is another thing I think about when I when I kind of think about this is stuffed with pop culture references, mm-hmm. video game stuff. I mean, I can only speak for the book because I, I don't know what's exactly in the film. The book is stuffed with Steven Spielberg references, interestingly, yeah. which he said he's taken out. Well, obviously, um, in the trailer today that you, you can all see now, the DeLorean from Back to the Future is in there, which is obviously Steven Spielberg produced. Alan Freddy Silvestri Kruger. is yeah. Alan Silvestri is going to score the film because John Williams is too busy scoring Steven Spielberg's other movie, The Papers, which is coming out like three months before this one, even though he started it like two weeks ago. Um, uh, you're right, Freddy Krueger, which Steven Spielberg had nothing to do with, but he's in he's in the uh, he's in there. So is the Iron Giant. So is uh, Canada's bike from Akira. 
uh, which is seen in a chase sequence alongside the the Back to the Future. So maybe needed Steven Spielberg. It's like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where you need somebody who can get the right who everyone yeah. will say yes yeah. to. Yeah, um, that's exactly so. why I went to the press conference and Sack Penn, the uh, the writer, uh, maybe some other people as well, uh, said that that's exactly what happened. That you know Spielberg would come in and go, "Oh, we should do this," and they would go, "You can, you'll never get the rights for that." And he went, "Of course I will. I'm Steven Spielberg, and I would just call these people direct, and then it, it you know, it, it would it would happen." He so called the Iron Giant direct. He did call the Iron Giant direct. He had oh, retired. He was. Yeah, well, you call Finn Diesel, who's pretty close to the Iron Giant, and uh, you get you get the number, you get the digits. What, what, what do you mean, Finn Diesel's close? How does Vin Diesel know the Iron Giant? <laughs> what? How? James, I need to have Dan? a long chat with no. you after this about no. how Iron Giants are made. No. I don't want so, to know. Uh, yeah, sort of dodgy, dodgy sort of um, uh, lines of text aside. I thought the trailer mm-hmm. was was fun. There's a lot going on in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the orcs from the Hobbit appear to have got into the trailer somehow. Um, there are some kind of orky, orky looking characters, or at least one. Um, yeah, it's kind of the kind of thing you can go frame by frame because I'm sure they're all stuffed with little obscure references and not so obscure references. It's a it's a difficult book to adapt beyond even getting the rights to everything that you could possibly try and get. Mostly because the story is kind of sprawling. It feels like the sort of thing that would probably work more as a sort of a, a mini series on HBO or something like that, where you could give it you know ten hours or something to really explore this world because it's a huge, huge virtual world. I guess we have to wait and see how they've pared it down into what a two-hour movie, two and a half-hour movie, seventeen-hour mm-hmm. movie. We'll see. Absolutely. I'll be honest; the trailer did not blow me away. Um, it looks fairly generic, a bit confusing. I'm sure future trailers will sort that out. It is our former boss, uh, our boy, the Berg. I'm sure he'll he'll pull it out of the bag. Uh, I'm reading the source material when we get back. Uh, I have a copy of the novel here now. But my understanding is that this this book splits people down the middle. Some people say it's, it's really good. Some people say it's a holy grail of pop culture. Uh, other people say it's rubbish. So I'm very intrigued. Uh, you know, uh, Jaws was it's not a great book, and uh, one of the greatest films of all time was was produced from it. I have no worries about it because I think the, the writing is not necessarily the best, but I think the concept and the basic the skeleton of the of the story is very strong, and so I can see totally why Spielberg would want to want to turn it into a movie and so hopefully he'll they'll strengthen the bits that need vitamins and yeah I, I, I think it's I think it's uh, I'm excited I am excited by it I yeah. think it's going to be it's it's Steven Spielberg's avatar and I think that's that's you've got to be excited about that right pretty much yeah uh, it, this this feels like a, a perfect film for Steven Spielberg to make it is almost literally a film that only Steven Spielberg could get made and mm-hmm. we'll see. It channels a lot of the things he likes to put in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, A Young Man's Adventures and, you know, it, just an incredibly vast story. So we'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Also in the uh, Warner Brothers panel, we had Blade Runner 2049. We did indeed. I we haven't seen indeed. the previous <laughs> 20... Uh, anyway, so do you... Uh, what, what do they show? What do they, they see? They, they, showed, they showed a little bit more. The, the, the panel was actually introduced by a hologram of Jared Leto. The best version of Jared Leto, I've, really? Yeah, because he's uh, yeah he he wasn't actually there. He was simply just projected, and uh, but but I I do believe he uh, he did actually uh, go very method for it and and was a hologram around his house for at least six months before he agreed to do this. Um, I can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. Was there a hologram of Jared? Leto? There was actually a hologram of Jared Leto looking a little bit like one of the Bee Gees, 
because he was supposed to be sort of futuristic and everything, but I think he was just Jared Leto that day. And and how did they do this? Was he actually beaming in live to the Comic-Con, or was I it uh, pre-recorded? it was something they did earlier, a bit like Blue Peter. Um, it was it was just sort of, it was a weird little sort of set up on the stage. It was sort of like two triangles that sort of set up on the stage, and he beamed in through one, and then mm-hmm. the panel's moderator... Chris Hardwick appeared in the other and was physically there and, and okay. on a hologram. I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford was looking at that thinking, why could I that, and I not have had that too? <laughs> a, man, I, a man who, when he came to Comic-Con for Cowboys and Aliens, was led onto stage in handcuffs in a reference to how little he wanted to be there. Yeah. I saw a couple of video interviews with him today where he just looked like a man who who... who he wanted to be far away. <laughs> he was from, from screaming. He wanted a blade roll dressed like Indiana Jones. Yeah, he he was. It has to be said, enjoyably grumpy as he can be. Um, I I get the feeling he he does share a decent chemistry with Ryan Gosling. The two of them seem to have a little double act going. Uh, any opportunity for to Gosling to sort of nudge at him a little bit, they took in the panel. Someone asked. Uh, someone asked the question, what was the what was the most important piece of advice you would give your character? To which Gosling replied, never, ever go into uh, Harrison Ford's trailer accidentally. To which Ford just replied, you're damn right. So, yeah. And, and then Ford was asked whether, in light of the likes of uh, Star Wars and now this, whether he would re- be rebooting all of his old franchise characters. And apparently he said he would, he would jokingly, which, of course, the Internet then ran with. Ford announces he's rebooting everything. So witness, <laughs> witness 2017. Can't wait. Genuinely can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be great. <clears throat> Mosquito, Mosquito Coast 2, Mosquito Coastia. <laughs> <laughs> what lies beneath her? <laughs> yep. Um, okay. And, and, and maybe another is. Indiana Jones, maybe a fourth Indiana Jones movie. That'll be great. <laughs> It'll never happen. It's yeah. unrealistic. I know. Stupid. Uh, good I'm footage. Sorry. Good footage. Yeah. Uh, they showed the trailer again, which we've all seen online. The one piece of footage they showed was Gosling's character, a, a Blade Runner named Kay, uh, going into the Tyrell Corporation or at least what we think is the future of the Tyrell Corporation, to see some old footage, which happens to be the Voigt-Kampf test from the original, or a very close-up version of an eye from the Voigt-Kampf test of the, uh, of the original film with Deckard and, and uh, Rachel talking to each other. And there's some sort of riffing on that a little bit. That was, that was mostly what we saw. It also referenced the fact that there, uh, as the timeline, as I previously mentioned, the mm-hmm. timeline between the two films, there has been some sort of attack on what? Los Angeles. Leto, and, uh, you bastard! He's probably responsible. Was he mailing rats to people? On <laughs> mass, you know, people just we're, open their mail and there's turds. We're going to get letters if we keep going on about that one. But yeah, um, yeah. So no one writes in. No one sends letters into a podcast. Okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll write one. Be a my, fan letter. Be fan letter best. for Chris is the game changer of podcasts. It is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, any. So it was. It, it looked interesting. It looked. It wasn't exactly. If if you're doing a movie like Blade Runner where you have incredible vistas and you know flying cars and Dave Bautista being a, uh, a replicant. Spider alert, and uh, that sort of stuff. It did seem a replicant, strange. A gay replicant, just a replicant. Oh, because you said being gay replicant. You, you did say that, yeah. Being a replicant. Yeah, take that replicant. again. Okay, take that again. Uh, in a in a movie where you have visions such as flying cars and an incredible sort of vistas of LA and Dave Bautista as uh, our replicant. 
it seems strange to have a scene where it's two people in a room talking about a bit of footage, but obviously the link to the original Blade Runner was there. So, mm-hmm. and you've yeah, got the and, timeline, and you've got the timeline. The timeline. You've got to keep the timeline on well, a giant screen. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Jared Leto sends you know mail, you know loads of mail to people with rats in it, origami rats. Um, Justice League. Justice League. Justice League uh, originally introduced by uh, actually Aquaman. Uh, and actually, let me let me take that again. Uh, Justice League. It was the it was the sort of the the main focal point of the the DC panel. But the DC panel actually began with what essentially boiled down to a PowerPoint presentation for a load of future movies, the likes of Wonder Woman two. Yay! Uh, what they're that now sounded calling- really that, that sounded really sarcastic. That yay. Are you excited about Young Wonder Woman? I'm very excited about Wonder okay, Woman. Okay, that yay that needed, was just, that, it was that just needed a very, to be way more exuberant than that yay. Yay! That's much better. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just very tired. It, uh, it, 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 a whole load of movies: Green Lantern Corps, yay. Batgirl, yay. the Batman, yay. <laughs> everything, everything you that they've already sort of technically announced yeah. they basically put up there but the thing was they didn't then go on and discuss any of them they literally <laughs> just it was literally just a, a, like an advertising hoarding flashing up these things okay. and then it was just okay we're done and we segued straight into aquaman okay and they they had jason momoa who fresh off a plane from australia but you wouldn't know it unless he'd had 17 red bulls <laughs> and uh, he bounded down the aisle through the middle of comic-con through the middle of Hall H, uh, like a rock star, with his trident, with five points, still a trident, <laughs> and uh, and basically announced he was the king, the king is here, and he brought with him some footage, they've, they've been shooting for a little while in Australia, and he brought some footage with a video introduction from director James Wan, talking about the, the visions he's got, and the fact that he's aiming it as an origin story for Aquaman. Mm-hmm. We will be introduced to Atlantis the same way that his Aqu- Arthur Curry slash Aquaman is introduced to it and then we saw we saw a little bit of footage of uh, a couple of uh, French fishermen finding their line sort of tugged and uh, your pardon and uh, <laughs> yes oh, well <laughs> this is an unusual direction <laughs> for the DCEU <laughs> Jason Momoa has gone rogue what videos are you putting on uh, and yeah which which then which then reveals uh, a, a whole sort of uh, legion of ships uh, flying around like. under the uh, under the ocean with 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 shark ships and all sorts of things happening and that looks very cool there's a load of concept art for that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a scene of Momoa sort of fight uh, about to fight somebody and and good good times basically yeah good times everybody um yeah, so the, 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 the announced films or the films that they, they hinted at included like the Flash, Flashpoint and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyborg Dance Party. Cyborg Dance Party. And uh, uh, the Batman. Uh, there was speculation this week that Ben Affleck was either going to step down uh, from his role as the Batman after Justice League or maybe be removed as with, with Warner Brothers wanting to go in a different direction and there were rumours and reports that Matt Reeves might want to recast because he's got a trilogy in mind for the Batman and Ben Affleck is you know he's in his mid-40s and he'd be in his mid-50s by the time it finishes even though the whole point of this Batman in this universe is that he's an older Batman who's been through it all already um, and Ben Affleck kind of said you know that's not true he, but he didn't actually say that he did he? didn't flat out deny any of the rumors what he more specifically said was i'm very excited to be playing the role uh, and and the fact that he was he was he was thrilled to be able to say i'm batman at 
at Hall H. So it it was sort of a it was it was sort of a, attempting to dispel the rumours, but not really actually dispelling them. So he took the bat fifth. He did, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. He mm. and, 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 yeah. So Justice League. So the the footage. Justice League uh, new trailer. Yeah. Um, it's which it's, is now online. Which is now so. online. Which you can see online. Which is is it's. Fun. Starts with Wonder Woman, which I wonder is a kind of reaction to. It does uh, feel a little bit like that, which like is that a good thing. Maybe. You know, more Wonder Woman is a good thing. Again, yay! Still didn't sound convincing. That's better. Yeah. That's better. Just, no, that's better. Yeah, just very interesting that DC and Marvel both came with a film in which a big group of heroes have to band together to uh, fight uh, some kind of alien who's coming to Earth to, to collect to things, crush, crush stuff, mm-hmm. and collect stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Justice League is collecting Panini stickers, I believe. But in Infinity War, he's collecting the stones, not the Rolling Stones. Like, oh no, I'm being taken away. <laughs> Keith, help me. That's Mick Jagger. Very tired. We apologise. Um, so yeah, I, there's an interesting kind of uh, symmetry there. Um, I guess Infinity War wins the numbers game because there are approximately 5,000 superheroes <laughs> banding together in that. But yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting that on the same day, you know, they're kind of probably going head to head. Um, for the um, for the Justice League trailer, much like the panel, more of the fun element of it came from Ezra Miller, who is of course playing Barry Allen slash the Flash, <laughs> slash the Flash, <laughs> slash the slash Flash. the Flash, Guns and Roses guitarist slash is the Flash. My God, um, uh, he's he's sort of he's the jokey quippy. Uh, guy among the bunch there's a little moment where uh, which you can see in the trailer where they all meet with J.K. Simmons Commissioner Gordon uh, after the bat signal has been turned on and then uh, Simmons turns around and they've all left except for uh, the Flash mm-hmm. and, he, and he's sort of standing there slightly awkwardly going oh so they really do vanish don't they that's rude and then he dashes off it top speed which of course he can mm-hmm. and and then there's there's moments of 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 jason momoa looking like he's just enjoying himself a hell of a lot more than anyone else in the cast <laughs> and and that seemed to be the same thing with the panel ezra miller turned up uh, as he did last year actually last year he dressed as gandalf this year he dressed up <laughs> as an anime character including a wig which he then proceeded to treat like a cat on his lap oh, and kept <laughs> stop stop running away which was really funny he was really naturally really really charming and funny mm. momoa tried to destroy the to destroy the chairs like uh, like someone finishing off a who concert and was actually then forced by the moderator to replace one of the chairs and put it back like a slightly sullen teenager being told to like eat their vegetables Amazing. which is really good fun Amazing. so yeah there were there was certainly some fun to be had. I have to admit. How did the footage play? I mean, I've seen the footage. It's four and a half minutes of of stuff. It, it looks it looks very CG heavy at times. Perhaps a little bit unfinished. You might add. Uh, it ends tantalizingly with Alfred, played by Jeremy Irons, seeing someone appear, presumably in the Batcave. Someone of great power. Robin. Um, Robin. Clearly, they're back from the dead in this universe. And uh, Alfred goes. He said you would come or something like that um, and the smart money's in that being of course Ted Danson he's back he's always he's always around no the smart money's in that being Superman isn't it really Henry Cavill coming back from, back from the dead he's not dead after you all you kind of hear yeah it's like you see the glass there's a bit of a Jurassic Park moment with the, the ripples in the water feels like that should be someone with a heavy, heavy step 
Maybe it's a, a dinosaur. Maybe it's the, 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 the dancing T Rex. Dancing T Rex. We've seen it. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That, so that was basically viral marketing for a thing that we don't actually reveal. But that that would be the, the stealthiest stealth campaign in the history of stealth campaigns. That'd be amazing. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm still looking forward to this movie. I'm intrigued to see how it's going to turn out. Obviously, all the behind the scenes shenanigans that have been going on. Um, with Joss Whedon coming on as uh, don't believe, was he there today Joss Whedon he, Joss Whedon was not there I think he's quite busy yeah you know, I think also I don't think he wants yeah. to overshadow you know to yeah certainly I think sort of take ownership of Ray it. Fisher who plays Cyborg had a uh, I, I love I hot, I hot ZS said S yes you've been, and, you've been and living in the States much. too long you literally just pronounced it as C rather than said which is how it should be pronounced World War Z equal doesn't work as well with World War Z equal. It's Zed's dead, not Z's dead. Yeah, come on, give it the program, man. Zed is, Zed is a name. The thing you want, you <laughs> not think, a Z. So there's a, there's a road. There's a road, right? There's a road. Yeah. The thing the side of the road that people walk on. What do you call that? The pavement. That's correct. Ha ha! Yeah, you can't catch me I out. I used the word side and walk in the description. I haven't gone total. I haven't gone total colonial. Okay. I'm good. still British in yeah. many ways, dude. All right. So, um, so the Justice League footage went down pretty well, I would say. Uh, we'll get back to the Marvel stuff in the, uh, later on, very very quickly. We'll we'll talk about some of the other stuff that happened. The the the, the, the Comic Con kicked off with the Kingsman uh, Golden Circle panel, yeah. uh, which and we also was hammered on stage on a on a, <laughs> yeah. on a Thursday morning with uh, with whiskey, and then we had the entire cast well felt like the entire cast uh in here as well which was a lot of fun um <laughs> it was a lot of fun um and um um the footage put down really really well the footage More played the, the trailers online again mm-hmm. red band trailer mm-hmm. um, and they they also played they well matthew vaughan who was not present uh he was still editing the film even though uh the moderator jonathan Ross called him over facetime at one point and it looked like he was actually relaxing in a swimming pool or next to a swimming pool very busy clearly <laughs> and uh and and he sent basically the opening of the film the opening action set piece of the film mm-hmm. which is extremely mad and extremely fun and essentially mm-hmm. features uh Tara Negerton's Eggsy uh, being Shanghai or or uh his old former Kingsman wannabe mm-hmm. uh Charlie mm-hmm. uh trying to Shanghai him obviously in some way he is now a villain mm-hmm. uh with He's always a villain uh, he's he always a baddie he's always a baddie and uh, and uh, that involves uh, an incredibly high tech cab and uh, and Taron Edgerton once again having to show off his uh, ability to hold his breath underwater. Uh, I won't say too much more than that to avoid sort of giving away spoilers, but it was a hell of a lot of fun and people mm-hmm. really did get into it. It's a it's a very, very good car chase. It's a very good opening to the film. Mm. Uh, and uh, the trailer seems to have gone down gangbusters uh, and they seem to be pushing the envelope again in certain again. directions, shall yeah. we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very excited about this movie. I think it's going to be fantastic and great fun. Very entertaining, uh, like the first one. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that one. And the, the the cast were in good form as well. The weirdest thing about the the Fox panel is that before it even happened, there were a lot of people saying, oh, they'll have to bring some sort of X-Men, yeah. Deadpool, Deadpool kind of thing into it. And there was there was literally nothing else. There was there, It was Kingsman, and that was it, which was great. But there was no Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. There was no video messages. There was no anything. I expected some is, Deadpool. I was a bit surprised by that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just even a little video clip or something. Yeah, seems like even the success of Temple. We were talking because you, uh, we, we're journalists occasionally, and we have to prepare for this thing. And we, we were discussing things in the office, and, we, you know, and it comes down as the Fox panel, and we know the Kingsman's going to be there. 
and you're thinking, wow, well, for sure, for sure, there's going to be some sort of X Men activity because everything's yeah. filming at the same time. The New Mutants is filming right now. Deadpool Two is filming right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Dark Phoenix is filming right now. But as time went on, it became apparent we'd heard that there was no one from the New Mutants coming. Simon Kimberg told me that he wasn't coming this year. You know, I just felt that, hang on. And then the day before the panel, it changed. If you notice on the Comic-Con website, it changed from the Fox panel to the Kingsman to the panel. To the Kingsman panel, yeah. Uh, that's kind of interesting. You know, in the past, I remember uh, Brian Singer brought footage from X-Men 2 back in 2002. I would say I remember. I, I wasn't here then. I read about it. but And he'd been filming for a matter of days and still managed to cobble something together. But um, yeah. Forget that. I'm just disappointed there was no Geostorm. Um, a oh. film which I am increasingly mesmerised by. Geostorm. Uh, I cannot get bored of repeating the synopsis for this film. Which is so complicated. <laughs> so many things going on. Uh, I f- was hoping that would be here with Warner Brothers. There was no IT panel. There was a, a sort of a party where they showed some footage, sort of yeah. a small kind of thing, but I was surprised there wasn't a Hall H presentation for IT, which... Uh, I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised there was no Dark Tower as well. There was no real Sony presence this year. Sony owned um, Blade Runner 2049 in the, in the UK, but not not over here. Yeah, there was no Mortal Engines, which is the big kind of Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh uh, written project, which is just wrapped recently in New Zealand. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting what stuff comes and what doesn't. You can never quite sort of predict it. No. Apart from anything with a superhero. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, even then, but, uh, the Marvel, the Fox stuff. Oh, yeah. No good superheroes. Point. Good point. Yep. No superheroes. Yeah. It's all um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so we'll race through some of the other stuff very, very quickly. Um, Bright. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's David Ayer uh, doing Lord of the Rings, really, but in LA, modern LA. So it's it's kind of the the, the sort of uh, I interviewed them uh, for the magazine. You can read that on August tenth when that comes out. But yeah, they talked about how um, one of the touchstones was District Nine, and so the idea is that elves and orcs um, and all these magical creatures have been living in modern society for hundreds of years. And, yeah, Will Smith is a cop whose partner is um, played by Joel Edgerton as the first ever orc cop. And it looks kind of interesting. It's, like, fully R-rated. They showed a very violent scene uh, in a gas station with Numi Rapace uh, playing this elf who's just a complete psycho and has a gigantic machine gun. Uh, Things are blowing up and big crunching stunts and stuff it looks it looks kind of interesting you can't quite tell which way it's going to go but they're going for it mm. I can't think of a you know obviously Alien Nation people have been yeah. saying that that's very similar this is more of an action film than that I'd say okay. for the looks of it mm. I don't know it's uh, it's in, looks it, interesting yeah. but it's it, obviously going straight to Netflix yep straight to Netflix in December mm-hmm. um, I don't yeah. know this is, this is an intriguing one David Ayer is a, a filmmaker who divides me, I love End of Watch. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, and if this is End of Watch with orcs and fairies and elves and goblins and whatnot, then can you know count me in? I'm all, I'm on, I'm on board. If it's Suicide Squad two with uh, aforementioned elves and goblins and fairies, then um, dear God, no. 
Yeah, I, I hope it's not. I, I think Suicide Squad, you know, it had it had several problems. One of them was there were too way too many characters. There was way too much going on. It was quite unfocused. This at least has the end of watch uh, kind of focus of having these two characters and their dynamic between them as they're going around LA in their in their patrol car and get mixed up in this in this kind of mystery. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I hope it's more end of watch too. Um, do you uh, do you in any way foresee that that Will Smith will will get back to his blockbuster roots and and sort of come up with the end song for it? Which, given that it features <laughs> magic in Los Angeles, would have to be Wiccan Wiccan Wild Wild West Coast. <laughs> oh come on, oh, dear Lord! That's the that's dear you're Lord. the only ones that can make the jokes. You've been thinking about that, haven't you? <laughs> a little bit. You've been writing couple, that one couple, down. A couple of minutes. Like that, that was that was a couple of minutes. Work. You got a tattoo in your wrist. I can see it. I can see it. Oh my god, it's amazing! It's amazing. Uh, yeah, the footage they showed, uh, yeah, did involve Will Smith whacking a fairy with a broom. Um, <laughs> it just, it, you know, there, there's some there's some really fun stuff in it. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah, fingers crossed. A uh, death note. I they was the other part of the Netflix panel on Thursday, mm-hmm. and I thought that looked. I thought that looked good. Oh, you um, saw it. You actually in the panel. Yeah, I went to the panel. You're in the panel. You've Willem seen three Defoe, things. Willem the Defoe uh, voices uh, the demon. There's a sort of death. Technically a death god. I keep saying demon. Technically a death god. I, don't, I think there's a there's a difference. I apologise to demons <laughs> and death gods for mixing you up. Um, but yeah, Willem Defoe uh, basically think Groot, but with spikes coming out of it and red eyes, and it likes eating apples for some reason. Um, I haven't read the source manga, but it's healthy. I'm presuming that's from that. Uh, and Willem Defoe does the voice. Um, and halfway through the panel, uh, there was a fake Skype call from the demon. No, Defoe kind of going, "Hey, everyone!" <laughs> and doing his <laughs> doing his creepy laugh, uh, and everyone uh, was a bit frightened for a while. But then he he went away. Um, so that was quite fun. I thought that looked good. Yeah, I thought that looked good. The 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 clip they showed was the arrival of the demon um, and light the hero kind of meeting him for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was kind of scary and stylishly done, but also quite funny. There was a bit of kind of an undercurrent of comedy to it. Mm. So I hope I really hope that one works out. This is Adam Wingard. That again is going to be on. Is that Netflix or Amazon Prime? It's Netflix. Netflix. It's Netflix. It's going to be Netflix at the end of August, and indeed Adam Wingard is going to be uh, our podcast guest around that time as well. An interview already recorded. And in the bin, in the bin, in the bin. I put That's it in the bin. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I put so it in the bin. Put in the recycle. Yeah, uh, I'm so tired. That I don't. I don't know how I'm going to muster up the enthusiasm to wank over Marvel for a, a good ten minutes, but I'll give it a go. Um, so, uh, what else do we have? We have so Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Uh, didn't see the panel, but I just want to before I forget. The trailer for Stranger Things season two is really good. Yeah, I just new, watched new it before this show. actually, and it's set to Michael Jackson's Thriller, <laughs> complete with Vincent Price' uh, creepy intro. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, yeah, he would have done a good job with Death Note as well. Um, yeah, that's a really good trailer. It re- it really was. It it played like gangbusters uh, in Hall H. It was one of those trailers where you like got, Ghostbusters, not like a, which features heavily in it yeah, too. Yeah, which is proton uh, pack, something trapped inside a proton something trapped pack. Inside, well, trapped inside the trap, not the proton pack. Sorry, inside the yeah. yeah. Ghostbusters yeah. two fan, you call yourself <sighs> rubbish, and uh, so yeah, it, it it played really well. It was one of those trailers that people are standing up at the end and demanding they play again. <laughs> and I believe it was David Harbour, the uh, as as described. 
on the panel by by moderator Pat Oswalt as Hellboy with a dad bod, uh, who who led the call for another viewing of the trailer. Uh, it was re- it was and it was a really fun panel. I have to admit, the kids uh, mm-hmm. you you've you've probably seen the kids in various little appearances, just being fun, dancing, doing things, and everything. They're they're very funny. They they've got a good easy chemistry, and there was a very good little rivalry going between Pat Oswalt, the, again the moderator, and and Finn Wolfhard, who as as World War has now christened him just Finn Wolfhard, the the future porn star because of the name Finn Wolfhard. So yeah, it was it's a really good panel, and yeah, the footage was looked fantastic. If, if you're a Stranger Things fan, I'm sure you'll be you'll be delighted. Who isn't? Who isn't a Stranger Things fan? I what sort of idiot moron would not even have seen the first season? I, Hi, Chris. What sort of Chris just galumphing arse, ladies and gentlemen? Chris Hewitt. Anyway, I think also the demagogue who's now had to go back to his job as a waiter. <laughs> it's very sad. Is that a re- reference to the first season? Yeah, I laughed. That anyway. you haven't seen. I yet, laughed anyway. You, Chris? I laughed anyway. I know you did. It's good. You haven't seen. You know yet, what? It's you? one of these. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a show which I, ha- I also haven't read the spoilers, so I don't know what happens. Oh, okay. I just know that there's uh, someone Your in the TV pub. viewing habits as ever distress me enormously. Yeah. Yeah. Chris watches only the worst TV and reads all the Yeah, I watch, only the, the, I watch only the worst TV. Better Call Saul, Billions. Yeah, only the Master worst Chef. TV. Late Night Don't Master Don't use MasterChef. Late, Late Night MasterChef is bacon. the idea that I've been pitching to BBC for ages. It's like, it's like John Giroud and Greg Wallace, but nude. It's all kicking off, folks. Sooner or later, there's going to be a superhero epic about this particular clash, and it will play Hall H, and no one will ask for the trailer to be played a second time. (laughs) Someone Uh, so tight, my bollocks, John! The trailer can be set to Earth Song. (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay, all right. Um, Quiet down, settle down. Uh, Nick, you also went to the Star Trek Discovery panel? I did, I did. It was... uh, yeah, I mean, I was hoping for a bit more footage. They showed the trailer. Which, again, um, was online. And they were very kind of cagey with with story stuff. Um, but Jason Isaacs was there, and mm-hmm. he rocked it, frankly. He's awesome. amazing, isn't he? Yeah. We were hoping to get him on this podcast, but he had to run to go back to L.A. for a friend's wedding. Yep. True story. Yep. So it was goodbye to Jason Isaacs. <laughs> it was goodbye to Jason Isaacs. It was Isaacs. goodbye to Jason Isaacs. Um, but, yeah, no, that was, that was uh, yeah. That was fun. It was uh, moderated by Rain Wilson, who you and I walked past. This is possibly the worst anecdote, but maybe <laughs> probably the best one I'll tell. Um, yes, we walked past Rain Wilson in this hotel uh, earlier today. I also walked past. I, I walked past Beck Bennett, Beck from Bennett. Saturday Night Live. Wow. Um, who I'm a big fan of him, especially his portrayal of Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Putin opposite uh, Alec Baldwin's Trump. And uh, yeah, I walked past him. So there we go. Back That's back. amazing. Have you walked past anyone? Have I walked past? Yes. I walked past Michael Giacchino. I wouldn't even recognize him. If so how did you? How did you? Uh, well, he he had his he had his. If you if you see his Twitter feed or his Instagram feed, he has often out and about a sort of a trademark sort of whitish trilby. A the, massive you, arrow pointing at himself <laughs> blazing with the words I am Michael Giacchino. He just has a he just has a t-shirt on that just lists all of his puns. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say was he punning wildly? That would he, be the first giveaway. He was not actually punning at the time but I can believe he had just come from somewhere where he was punning. Extraordinary. But yeah, he was, he was my favourite celebrity spot I think and, and our own Emma Thrower I believe would have been thrilled to be she in She would presence. have been. Uh, we walked past today Doug Jones. He was in this room. 
He was in he your chair. He was in this room. He was in your chair. Was he in my chair? Yeah, he was in your chair. On, just... No, no, no. Yeah. He was in that one. No. Between you two. He could be this chair because Doug Jones <laughs> is a talent for playing anything and anyone. Um, he said, uh, he, yeah, he, he, he looked at the, uh, the, the copy of the magazine that we have here and said, I love Empire. You guys have been good to me. So, so thank nice. you, Doug Jones. What a lovely guy. I should have said we, hello we to him, but I saw him, but I didn't. I, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much I think that's it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Uh, right. So uh, we, we also saw the take as well. That was there was a decent panel with Paris, Peter Serafinovich, who was on Facebook Live earlier as, as well, and it would be in the magazine also. Uh, but that's just very, very quickly. That's the end where we started uh, with Marvel, who dropped a whole ton of news. Uh, we'll go through it very, very quickly. So they started off with a very funny uh, pre-recorded recap of the Marvel Cinematic Universe today with Michael Pena and uh, Paul Rudd, who are currently filming Ant-Man and the Wasp out there in Atlanta. Uh, uh, and they were basically going through it you know, in, a, in a very comedic, very, very funny fashion. Uh, and it turned out to be a bit of a ruse turned out that there was actually a bit of shadow casting going on there because they were it turns out the end of the video they weren't recapping the Marvel Cinematic Universe for our benefit they were recapping it for the benefit of their newest cast member Michelle Pfeiffer who has been cast in Ant-Man and the Wasp as Janet Van Dyne the long lost wife of Michael Douglas's Hank Pym uh, who was last seen off in the quantum realm um, and clearly they're going to get her back and she's going to be the Wasp or a wasp. Uh, so Ant-Man and the Wasp refers to... There's two Ant-Mans in this movie, and there's two wasps as well. Uh, and they showed some concept footage from the movie as well, and some and some very early stuff that they're shooting. Uh, I mean, I think they only started last week, or maybe the week before. Uh, and they showed some... So there's concept art of Michael Douglas in the Ant-Man suit as... Michael Douglas says he is now not de-aged um, which looked cool there seems to be all sorts of stuff happening in the quantum realm clearly they go in there to try to get Janet Van Dyne back and it ended with Giant Man it did and, and skulking around peaking, a city street peeking, peeking around out. a building in San yeah. Francisco yeah it I, looks fantastic I'm really excited about this movie uh, you know I really like the first movie it's really grown on me and uh, and clearly I think they've also recognised that Michael Peña's Louis Lewis is a fantastic supporting character one of my favourite Marvel characters in the mm-hmm. MCU and they're giving him a lot more to do uh, which is great and uh, Pfeiffer of course was not the only announcement they made um, yeah. they're adding uh, Lawrence Fishburne Lawrence Fishburne the as, fish. as fish. a guy as a man called Dr. Bill Foster who is a Marvel Comics character I believe he's the character Goliath in uh, in the comics. Mm-hmm. What version of that will be is another matter. We will have to wait and see. Uh, also, uh, this guy was actually announced. Uh, they've announced Walton Goggins. Well, they didn't announce Walton Goggins. Walter Goggles. <laughs> yes, Walter Goggles. Walter, Walter Goggles, who yeah. had previously been been sort of mentioned as as being cast in it, uh, and he will, I believe, be the new corporate villain of the film because it's Walton oh. Goggins wanting to be a villain. Oh, you goggles! Yes, <laughs> I hate you. And uh, and Hannah John Cayman, uh, Hannah John Cayman, who also was previously uh, mentioned as as cast yeah. in the film, and she is playing a character called Ghost. So clearly, she is going to be Patrick Swayze wandering around with some pottery. Oh, is that a different <laughs> ghost? I'm not sure. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, exciting stuff. Uh, very very cool. It's um, a cinematic game changer. It is a cinematic game changer. It's a holy grail of pop culture. That panel and uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, they also announced some big news about Captain Marvel, which is the uh, the film is coming out in 2019. I believe this one's coming out after Avengers 3, in between Avengers 3 and Avengers 4, I 
think I can't remember I've completely forgotten uh, how <laughs> the lineup of the Marvel Cinematic Universe but some top news about this one so we knew that Brie Larson is Captain Marvel Carol Danvers who is the probably the most powerful superhero we, we will have seen uh, they will need someone hugely powerful I would imagine to fight off Thanos the purple bastard and um, uh, but it, what's interesting about this is that they announced a couple of things Number one, Sam Jackson is back as Nick Fury in this movie, but he will have two eyes in this film because it is set in the early 1990s before the MCU uh, really got going. Mm -hmm. Uh, That intrigues me. Do you think we'll see him losing uh, an eye? We may well do. Do you know how he lost the eye? Uh, I think he... uh, No. Interesting. Uh, well, not in this version of the MCU. We, did, we certainly hasn't, we haven't been told. I, I believe it's an unfortunate accident with a fork, but uh, <laughs> that hasn't been confirmed yet. That isn't canon, just so you know. <laughs> he was like, guys, look at this. <laughs> a tragic dining yeah. um, yeah. misfortune. Yeah. It's like Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz, but he just forgot to stop his... <laughs> stop the fork from actually piercing the eye, and he also didn't have the ketchup either. But, you know, yeah. it'd be great if uh, Nick Fury had an Uncle Derek. <laughs> Derek Fury. <laughs> Derek Fury. <laughs> he was the reason I got into being furious <laughs> in the first place. Uh, but then he dealt drugs to people. Another another big uh, piece of news as well was that the enemies in the movie, and this makes me wonder, this makes me wonder a lot now I'm thinking about this, uh, are the Skrulls. Now the Skrulls, for anyone who doesn't know, who or what they are, I'll be very, very brief about this, are a, a nasty bunch of alien arseholes um, and they, they, um, they can shapeshift. They can become whomever they please. And um, I'm surprised about this. I spoke to Kevin Feige uh, early on tonight and I completely forgot to ask him about the scrolls because uh, I'm an idiot uh, and I do part-time journalising um, and I won an award recently but I don't know why. And... Um, uh, and uh, I forgot to ask about the scrolls. And the scrolls are interesting because I assumed that they were a Fantastic Four property, uh, that they were aligned with the Fantastic Four. I'm pretty sure their first appearance in Marvel Comics was Fantastic Four, uh, so therefore they're they're part of that universe. So I wonder if there's been some deal going on there uh, recently um, to to get them over for in exchange for something else. It was uh, it was announced. Uh, I think it was yesterday that, that Noah Hawley, the the man behind Fargo mm-hmm. and Legion, uh, is currently working or developing at least a Doctor Doom movie. Yes. So clearly, Fox still has a lot invested in the Fantastic Four universe, even if they're not directly aiming at a fantastic another fantastic four movie right now so perhaps there was some sort of extension of the the right to the fantastic four universe with marvel then going well if you want to keep it then give us the scroll that's a bloody good theory i like that theory let's go with that theory uh, i should have asked kevin feige about that theory but hey ho i'm not perfect i am what you see before you um but it's intriguing because also the fact that it's set in 1991 i think roughly this movie why have we not seen Carol Danvers in the previous years? This incredibly powerful character. Uh, is she off-planet, perhaps, by the time that the MCU kicks in, by the time Infinity War starts? We know she's not going to be in Infinity War. She'll be in the fourth Avengers movie. Um, so where is she? What is she doing? What is she up to? And also, just a very, very quick thing about the Skrulls. The Skrulls really interest me because... Um, they can change the game in a way, aren't they? They're a bit of a cinematic game changer, aren't they? Because you could suddenly have a situation where 
you could retcon a lot of the MCU to go, that wasn't who you thought it was, that was mm-hmm. a Skrull. They could do that. They could, they could do that. Setting it before the MCU really kicked into into gear mm-hmm. is, uh, is certainly interesting. I'm, re- I'm reading up on them now. They're, they're on Wikipedia, their entry for Skrulls is approximately 90,000 words. Yeah. You'll be interested to hear that they, they have chins with several vertical folds in the skin below their mouths. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And They're ugly buggers. is a cinematic game changer. <laughs> that is a cinematic game changer. All right, I won't talk any more about <laughs> I that. I love this. But... Scrolls are all able to assume virtually any form, be it organic, e.g. cows, or in a, inorganic, e.g. lamp. Wow. <laughs> that's an actual line. Brett Tamland clearly wrote to the. Uh, <laughs> so they have two options. They can change into cows or lamp, that's whichever a, is more useful. That's for a plan them. for planetary domination, if ever I heard one. Beely cow or Beely lamp. <laughs> My word. Um, all right. Sorry about this being so long, but very, very quickly as well. So we have the Black Panther footage, which they screened tonight, and I don't think it's going to be is online. Not online. And uh, the cast and the uh, clearly Ryan Coogler had seen it, the director, but the cast who were out in force tonight. Uh, it was mm. it was Jabek Bozeman and Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan and Letitia Wright and Denai uh, Guerrera and uh, Daniel Kaluuya and um, Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker was there, of course. Uh, Winston Duke was there. Uh, mm. Fantastic. Mr. Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Uh, great stuff. And the the footage, Blanco, I thought was really looked really interesting. Looked really cool. Uh, it doesn't feel like anything else we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it, there was a big casino fight sequence mm-hmm. that felt very much like a James Bond film to me. Um, you got to see. Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw back again with a prosthetic arm that mm-hmm. became what Andy Serkis told me later on was a sonic disruptor because Claw in the comic books uses sound as a weapon. Uh, so, and there's a batshit insane car chase and... Mm-hmm. What's insane about it? Um, it... it uh, you're putting me on the spot here. Sorry. But uh, it was a... It's, it's Black Panther chasing after um, Ulysses Claw and dismantling the car around him essentially okay. while the car chase is going on uh, it just it, it, it looks really slick really really fun the cast are having a great seem to be having a great time and they all they all seem to be incredibly proud to be in this film which is you know an extraordinary you know obviously people will say it is long overdue in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we're, we're going to be 17 films in by the time we have a film with an African American lead and we're going to be 20 films in by the time we have they have a film with a female lead uh, but the Black Panther is very hard to overstate the fact that this is a uh, African American director with a with an African American cast by and large it's landmark, uh, yeah. many of the um, roles behind the camera cinematographer etc et are, 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 are all African American people as well it's, uh, it's great yeah, I I think it's it's going to be a fantastic thing to see, and it feels different and feels cool in a way that um, I think we haven't seen so far in the MCU. So yeah, um, I thought the footage looked fantastic. I also thought the Thor Ragnarok footage was oh. extended Thor Ragnarok footage, um, and the revelations from that things like, for example, this is a new version of of Hulk that we have, haven't seen before in the MCU, mm-hmm. which is great because Hulk is probably my favourite M- uh, Marvel character and the psychological uh, changes that character has undergone over the years are terrific uh, and layered and complex and I'm glad to see this finally being explored this this relationship this complex relationship that, between Banner and Hulk these mm-hmm. two psyches are occupying the same the same body who knows where it could go in the future but we have a, uh, a Hulk who won't let Banner back at his own body from 
that's what we've been told. Mm. And uh, Hulk has developed now a limited vocabulary, a bit like us after doing four days of Comic Con and then doing a podcast. Um, but I thought the footage looked great. So we started off with, with Thor being captured after shit's gone down, things have gone wrong, mm. and he ends up in the planet Sakaar, which is run by Jeff Goldblum, who effectively is playing himself, but he's also playing Benicio Del Toro's brother, mm-hmm. uh, the collector from Guardians of the Galaxy, and he is the Grand Master, and he has this place set up as a gladiator planet, um, and we saw a couple of scenes with uh, Thor being interrogated by the Grand Master and Falkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson, and uh, another character whose name I didn't get, but played by um, Rachel House. I believe it was Topaz. Topaz. I believe she's called Topaz. Okay. Uh, played by Rachel House, who is uh, Taika Waititi's good luck charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been in pretty much all of his films. Uh, most recently, most notably, of course, a Hunt for the Wilder People. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a very, very fun scene. There's another fun scene where Thor then is imprisoned and meets this, this character called Korg. Korg, 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 uh, played by Taika Waititi, uh, who's a pile of rocks, um, and that was a very, very funny scene as well. And then we got a glimpse of the Hulk versus Thor battle mm. as well, followed by the trailer. And the film looks great; it looks Technicolor and uh, and mad, and unlike anything we've again, unlike anything we've seen in the MCU. Mm-hmm. There's a real boldness about what they're doing right now, which I think is is terrific. And it looks really funny. It's well, it's the thing people have tried to level this criticism at the MCU that it's it's a factory and it's basically the the management imposing their will on all the various directors. And this sort of film just completely refutes that because it feels like a Taika Waititi film that just happens to take place in the Marvel universe. It's it's fantastic. Mm. There are, there is there's some true comedy in here. Korg, for example, uh, tells tells uh, Thor that he's in prison because he tried to start a revolution. But he didn't print enough pamphlets, and only his <laughs> mum and his mum's boyfriend turned up. And he doesn't like the boyfriend. It's brilliant. It's the sort of thing you just, you just, you literally could not imagine something like that happening in, say, the Justice League's world. It's just yeah. all the baby steps for that in the universe. You know, yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman was such a great film. Then I think that's you know, true. That's yeah. true. But yeah, it's it's such a, a wonderful little see, utterly unexpected. It's just those little moments of real, just comic gems that you mm. just you just love. And you got a wider sense of the idea of, of behind the film as well. So you get a sense that Thor and Asgard are being attacked and by Kate Blanchett's Hela. Mm-hmm. Uh, things go to shit. Mjolnir gets destroyed. Everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And they end up at Sakaar. And then Thor has to put together a team, which in this movie was Thor and Banner slash Hulk. Loki, which is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. Uh, how that then ties into the things we already know about this movie, that Thor ends up on Earth with Doctor Strange and Loki looking for Odin, I have no idea. I have no idea how this movie's going to come together, but this is a very, very promising start. Definitely. And then very, very last thing, very, very quickly, uh, the Infinity War trailer, which we talked about a little bit already. It's not a trailer. It was more a, a selection of footage. A sizzle reel, more than anything. A, a sort of an early early yeah. look at certain things. I mean, but Thanos, for example, apparating mm. in, and uh, a lot of shots of, uh, of the various Marvel heroes having quite a bad time of it. It looked like Thor was almost having his head crunched at one point. Yeah, by and, Thanos, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a moment of Spider-Man, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, uh, feeling seeing the sort of the the hairs on his on his uh, the the hairs on his uh, sort of arm raise up as though he's he's getting his spider sense for the first time with Thanos' ship sort of approaching Earth. Uh, yeah, it it looks 
It looks fantastic. It looks huge. It yeah. looks, and this is this is early days. This is they've they've only they've only recently they wrapped what a week ago something like that. Very recently yeah, on this first got, film, yeah. and it's yeah. it looks it looks absolutely massive. Yeah, it 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 promises to be like nothing else they've seen. I genuinely think this is the most ambitious film ever made. Uh, I I cannot think of anything else has even come close to it in terms of of, of the ambition I, and scale. I, I think I think you're missing out Sex Lives of the Potato Man. I am missing out Sex Lives of the Potato Man, but Honestly, yeah, you know, it, it could be you know things could go horribly wrong, but I'm really excited about it and the tra- and the footage uh, delivered. To be fair, Fitzcarraldo people carried a boat over a natural mountain. That's pretty ambitious. That's true, but Thanos would have just grabbed that boat and just had it delivered. Or Jared Leto would have just mailed it to someone. A massive envelope. Bigger scale. I'll give you bigger scale. Bigger scale. I don't know about most ambitious, but yeah. It's incontrovertibly the most ambitious film ever made. But, you know, that's... Uh, that's that's an ar- that's not an argument for the other day because I just said I incontrovertibly. No, you can't you can't controvert that. You can't because I've just said incontrovertibly. Most ambitious, as in no one has ever met, been more ambitious in making a film. Uh, yeah, in terms of the size of the, the 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 in terms of the size of the film, the size of the cast, the scale of the movie, it's never been done before. Right, that is the end of the Comic Con news section. Dear God, as this podcast goes into its fourth day, um, uh, time for another guest. Uh, our next guest, in fact, is our next guests. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of people come to our studio over the last few days uh, and included the entire cast of Marvels and Humans. They were all here. They all really of them. were. All 657 of them. Uh, and they also wrote with them the, the showrunners, Scott Buck and Jeff Loeb, and director Rule Rene. Uh, and they talked to me, and this is before the footage uh, screening, by the way, which didn't go down terribly well, is my understanding. Uh, but they talked to me about the, the show and their ambitions for the show. And uh, yeah, it's a decent little chat. Enjoy it. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on this very, very special Comic-Con edition of the Empire Podcast by Will Rene, Jeff Loeb, and Scott Buck. How are you, sirs? Very good, thank you. What's your Comic-Con experience been like so far? What's the strangest thing you've seen? I don't think we've seen anything other than elevators and corridors so far. Well, I saw a Spider-Man in an elevator last you're, night, so... You're lucky. Am I one-up? <laughs> you are definitely one-up. <laughs> I saw from the bus the big poster was hanging. Yes, that was that nice, was the whole side really of the building. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That, that knows. That means you know it's imminent, right? Yes. When you get in and you see the poster, the human poster hanging on the billboard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Absolutely, uh, Jeff. I imagine you're not. You're not. This isn't your first rodeo. No, it, it still is great fun. Uh, you know, the, the having a presence as big as in humans here. Uh, the show's so big that it couldn't be contained to a television screen. It had to go on an IMAX screen. Uh, taking up uh, most of Petco Park, yeah, uh, which is a baseball field for those of you that don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is just it's great, and it also speaks to the commitment that ABC and IMAX have to you know getting the word out about the show. So this this show started in a very very strange way. It started, it was announced a few years ago, a couple of years ago, as uh, part of the MCU, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, when it switched to TV. Did anything that the Marvel Studios development team had been working on, did anything come with you, with that, or was it very much a clean slate for everything? As far as I know, they actually hadn't done anything. They, it was, as it is with the movie division, um, they announced their slate. Um, this was something that was going to be in 2019, mm-hmm. um, and I think they announced it in, like, 2014, so they hadn't yet started. They just knew that it was a slot. 
Okay. And that was part of the reason why when we suggested perhaps it was something that could work in television, um, they, you know, they, they really hadn't given uh, enough mm. uh, work done on it for it to be anything that couldn't be moved over. Okay. And, and Scott, can you talk about the approach to this, this property, which is, which, you know, even for Marvel is outlandish and you could go wrong with this in a lot of ways how did you go about it's funny because it doesn't seem outlandish at all to me and I think it's just because our approach is always through through character you know who are these people what are they thinking what are they feeling why why did this happen you know when we first meet them they're they're in the midst of this huge family crisis that that threatens their entire civilization and so it's like how did they get to this point and so it's basically it's just approaching them as if they are real people so, uh, you look at it in terms of uh, of genre. How would you describe the show then? I, I myself tend to think of it as a, a family drama, you know, but but dark at times, funny at times. But uh-huh. you know, yes, they happen to have superpowers, but I don't think those superpowers define who they are necessarily. Mm. But but there there does seem to be with this show in particular even more of a cinematic feel to it and Rule obviously you directed the first two episodes with those great big wacky IMAX cameras yes what? but they're not that big eh? we use the digital IMAX cameras so they're not the uh, the small refrigerator cameras no. okay okay I just had this image of the IMAX camera being as big as the yes, screen. Yes, me too. When when we were talking about doing it in IMAX, the first thing I asked to Marvel is that I want to play with the cameras and see what I could do with it. Because uh-huh. I wanted to throw them around and do crazy things with it. And uh, so I did a very nice test with the IMAX cameras and, and could feel what you could do with it and, and how you can push the limits. Okay. So visually, what, what can we expect from this show? Yeah, it's it's grand. It's big. It's it's a different kind of feeling of, of doing a TV show for IMAX. So the sets we built have scope uh, to the uh, top and the bottom Mm -hmm. instead of doing old whites. The way I used the camera and placed it and moved it around. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's different than you do, normally do television. There's yeah. no the regular coverage like a medium and a close-up. No, I'm moving the camera really low and really high. And funny enough, when I did the test, uh, there are not a lot of IMAX lenses around. So I asked them to oh, really? create a wider lens to be even wider. So they uh-huh. built a special lens for our show that we used, but it made it even wider than you ever see on IMAX. <laughs> and, and just I mean, one of the things that we had talked about from the very beginning is that not only did we have the challenge of how to make it work for an IMAX screen, we yeah, also yeah. had the challenge of, okay, how are we going to do this so that it's also going to work on ABC and throughout the world yeah. on a regular television set? And and, and that's sort of a composition of, of story and, and direction and cinematography in the sense that um, just making sure that the frame is something that will work big and can work smaller mm. um, I, you know one of the things that we learned very quickly is that that on an IMAX screen movement from left to right is is huge it's, it's, mm. and so one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about and one of the things that you'll see when you see the show is, mm. is that most of the movement is, is sort of upstage and downstage so okay. yeah, it yeah. has sort of a theatrical in the sense of a play uh. kind of feel to it even though it's not a plane I mean it has all the Marvel action things like that but you'll see like for example if there's a chase in the jungle we tend to go into the jungle and we tend to come out of the jungle as opposed to going across through the jungle 
Is this something that maybe you might, might apply to other Marvel TV shows now? Um, I, I think one of the things we're very proud of is, is that every show has a look, every show has a feel, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, this was the thing that was right. One of the things that's, that's uh, remarkable about the story is that it's the first sort of family drama that, that Marvel's done. Um, and that the, this is the story of royals, and so yeah. it's very much a, a, a world that you sort of rarely get a glimpse into. But as you often find out when you see these kinds of programming, is that their problems are very similar to your problems. It's just yes. because they happen to be a king and a queen doesn't mean they're not fighting, uh, <laughs> and and their brother still is a pain in the ass. So yeah. um, you know, we've we've tried to make the story. At its core, a story of two brothers, one of whom thinks that the city that they live in should be ruled one way and and a brother who thinks that they shouldn't and a woman who's caught in the middle of it. And and so that's just it's just a very uh, non-complex story so that you can pick a side and get involved and see where it's going to go. And uh, obviously those two brothers, one of them can't speak. The lead of your show can't speak. What are the challenges inherent in that, Scott? Well, to be clear, he can speak. He can speak, he but he can shouldn't speak he shouldn't if he speak. wants to destroy everything he's known. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's very challenging to yeah. create uh, not just a, an episode or a scene, but an entire series, eight episodes, around someone who can't speak. But uh, fortunately, with Anson Mount, we, we found such a, a terrific actor who is capable of bringing that person to life. And it is, it's also just a matter of, of making sure that even though this person isn't speaking, he is still driving the story. He is the center of everything that's happening. So I think as long as you keep that in mind, then then it all sort of works. But as, as, as writers, you must be going, oh, well, I'll write a scene where uh, Black Bolt stubs his toe and just, oh, no, he can't, because there you go, that city destroyed. There's a lot of <laughs> toe-stubbing scenes that we cut from the, from the show. <laughs> and then just just very quickly about the, the scale of the powers depicted. I mean, and Rule, you can, you can speak to this as well as, as a director. Because uh, these are incredible... Again, go back to that word, outlandish powers. How do you depict them on the, on the big slash small screen? No, the thing is that, and what I liked about the approach that Scott and, uh, and Mao and you guys have had, is that they wanted to ground it really much. You know, they didn't want to extend it. You know, they didn't want to make it really bigger. It needs to be very realistic. Mm. So the approach was very realistic, mm. you know, and not uh, emphasize it too much. It was more in generality that we are seeing these powers, mm. what I really liked. But at the moment that something goes wrong or something goes wrong with Black Bolt and he does uh, say a little puff, then, of course, uh, <laughs> the cars are flying through the street. And uh, so that was really cool to to do that and yeah, yeah. find the technical way and to find the IMAX way to make it as beautiful as possible. Medusa's hair. Yeah. But it was really challenge. exciting because we were doing this in downtown Honolulu and when I remember when we were scouting I wanted to have the most busiest corner in the most difficult producible place to flip the car and we did. You know, we pulled it off. Fantastic. Um, as, as somebody who's been reading these comics for, for many, many years uh, Lockjaw is a, is a particularly favorite uh, of mine. Uh, and, and will be in the show. Yeah, <laughs> and seems to be owning Comic-Con. I mean, it was at the Marvel booth yesterday. Obviously, there's that massive Lockjaw plushie that's in the yes, Marvel which booth. which is not as big as the dog that's in the show, <laughs> if you get an idea. <laughs> uh, it, it is, uh, you know, we set out from the very beginning to make sure that, that first of all, that it was believable. Yeah. Um, but that also that we would challenge our cast to have into 
act with basically a tennis ball, uh, or uh, uh, Stuffy, uh, who was the size of him, uh-huh. but was made out of styrofoam. And so there would be this large blue thing that was sitting in the middle of the street. On uh, wheels. And we, uh, so we could we roll, roll in. in. And then we would take the shot, and then we'd roll it back yes. out again. Um, and then I, we really have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I, Double Negative, which is the, the production house, yep. Uh, yep. or D-Neg, yep. uh, uh, created... Um, the the shame of it is is that people are going to think that we used a real dog and then placed him in the shot as opposed to what we did which was we created a 100% CG character which for television is um, impractical at best yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, it looks amazing and it looks amazing and I imagine it'll look at, like this will be the show that people go did you see the show with a dog yeah uh, the, and the giant teleporting dog it has you know just this awesome cast and yeah. terrific story and you can make the dog heal. You can make the dog do walkies. You can make the dog do whatever you want. That's yeah. that's the, the beauty of it when it's all CG. And, yeah. and, and all he eats are little digital bits. <laughs> very, very last thing. Did you each get a plushie? Not yet. Not yet. No. no. Oh, I want one. I can't, I can't give you one, real man. I don't, I don't have them on me. I'm not. I look, look around. I don't have I think I have to go to the booth and stand in line for it. Yeah. You don't have to stand in line. You directed the Inhumans, for God's sake. Honestly, go go now and get something. Brilliant. Rule, Jeff, Scott. Thanks thank you so much. much. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so that was the Inhumans people. I haven't seen the footage. I haven't seen the footage. So I don't know if it's as bad as people say, but um, we shall see. We shall see. Inhumans is hitting... When's it coming out? August? Uh, it, well, it launches in September in the States. It, 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 they've actually got a, an interesting idea, which is the first two episodes will be in IMAX uh, cinemas on mm-hmm. September the 1st, I believe, right. before the show launches on uh, in here again in, 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 the, uh, in the US on the ABC network, which is where, of course, the Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. already plays. Amazing. And speaking of uh, IMAX, we should talk about this week's big movie release, uh, which is on IMAX and in 70 millimeters and just coming in your your ears and eyeballs. It's Christopher Nolan's uh, Dunkirk, his latest slice of five-star brilliance. Um, It's basically the only big movie out back in the UK. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it by the time this podcast is out. Uh, Nick here wrote the five-star review for Empire Magazine. Um, This is obviously Chris Nolan's latest movie. It is about the evacuation of Dunkirk uh, in 1940 that uh, were, you know, Britain, Britain's soldiers were up against it in France and they, they mounted a mass evacuation um, and they, they enlisted thousands of civilian boats to come uh, to the beaches of Dunkirk where 400,000 men were trapped, uh, you know, being trapped by, uh, by the Germans and, uh, and got them out of there and uh, lived to fight another day and uh, ultimately, I don't know, spoiler, prevailed. But uh, this movie, Nick, wow. No, it's an experience. I mean, it's in many ways a sensory assault. I think it's about three minutes into the film when the first bullets start flying. And it's not entirely action, but it it does feel like one giant set piece that stretches out over an hour, 40-something minutes. It's Christopher Nolan's shortest film since his first film, Following. Oh, wow. Um, But there's a reason for that. It's it's full-on. It's intense. It's... uh, it's uh, I, I can't think of a, another film right off the top of my head that is as consistently suspenseful and tense and racks up the mm. the the kind of um, the situation like it does. It cuts between land, sea, and air. 
Tom yep. Hardy's uh, in a Spitfire. Yep, along with um, Jack Loudon. Yep. yep. Um, Mark Rylance is on the sea in a boat, and he's one of the civilians, uh, British civilians, who's going across the channel to try and pick people up and mm-hmm. sort of a rescue mission. Um, and then on the beach, you have uh, Finn Whitehead and Harry Styles and others who are just trying to stay alive, and they're basically running from one like almost deadly situation to another, mm-hmm. and and just one step ahead of of keeping you know just mm. trying to keep themselves alive. And, um, and so the stuff, the stuff on the uh, the stuff on the on the beach, the mole part of the film. The, the beach is called the mole. Yeah, um, it takes place over a week. You could yeah, quibble. It, you don't yeah. really get a sense of that time. It's really unfolds. about two and a half days. It feels like two and a half days. I've seen it a couple of times. It's, yeah. it's two and a half days. But they they say it's a week. Yeah. Who are we to quibble? Well, absolutely. Um, yeah. In the in the boat, it's uh, a day. A day. Yeah. And up in the sky, it's an hour. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, if you've seen Inception, the kind of the last, the last sort of stretch of Inception where they're, they're different, operating on different dream states and time is moving at different speeds. He's kind of repeating that, but for an entire film. And it's very effective. Um, it, I, I've seen it twice. The first time I did get a little bit confused about a few details. You see a plane land twice and the same plane turns out to be. Mm. Um, but it's very meticulously done. He's yeah. obviously planned it out to the nth degree. Every yeah. shot has been planned and map charted out. Mm. And it's it's just a, a very, very effective film. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I... Don't think it's my favorite Chris Nolan. I think The Dark Knight is still my favorite. I still love The Prestige. Uh, you know, long-time listeners to the Empire Podcast will know I'm not. A f- I don't look favorably upon Memento, but um, uh, certainly I, I think this this film blew me away. It's extraordinary. I, I don't think I have had palms this sweaty um, since uh, Green Room. It's an extraordinary thriller. And what it's he does? Yeah, sorry. No, no. I was just going to say it's very interesting. There, there are certain decisions he makes. Uh, it's very dialogue light. It yeah. really is extraordinarily. Absolutely, there are whole stretches that are just basically silent. I mean, yeah. not, it's never silent because Hans Zimmer's coming at you uh, like a like a you know, hammering away on his organ. Yeah, it's it's a nerve jangling score, um, and uh, you know there's bombs and explosions going off and all, all sorts. But it's in terms of dialogue, it's very light. Kenneth Branagh has some dialogue where he kind of sets up the situation, but very little, I'd say. It's incredible, and you you never see apart from you see a couple of German planes as Tom Hardy and and uh, uh, Jack Loudon, uh, who's in a different um, uh, Spitfire, are taking on some German pilots. But otherwise, you don't see the enemy in this film. You don't see the German soldiers as they shoot at the British soldiers. You don't see a German U-boat as it tries to sink a British ship. You're absolutely in there at the grunt's eye level. Uh, and you're more immersed in it than I think I can remember in any war film. Certainly, you know, not even something like Full Metal Jacket. Uh, it's it's extraordinary. And some of the decisions that, that Nolan takes in this movie, he he doesn't give you character names. He doesn't give you backstory. He doesn't give you something to grab onto. 
you know, the uh, Killian Murphy's character in this movie, who's a major character in the film, is credited at the end as Shivering Soldier, not even given the name. There's, you know, and you know, if we could talk about some other characters, but I don't want to give too too much away. But there's 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 interesting developments with character names all the way through the film. You're absolutely right about the dialogue, um, and it 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 feels to me like an extraordinary achievement. It's incredibly tense. It's really well acted. I think this is one of the. This is absolutely going to be one of the front runners for best picture. Uh, for best director, I don't think it's going to be in the running for any acting awards because I don't. I don't feel anyone's really given a big acting scene. But everyone's terrific. Maybe Mark Rylance for supporting. Maybe Mark Rylance because he's you know because he's, he's Mark Rylance. He's and you know he's doing a dependable Mark Rylance kind of thing. I think Tom Hardy's fantastic. I mean, it's a performance that's largely about his eyes um, and the occasional line that you, if you can make it out. Uh, he's great. You know, a lot of people were worried about Harry Styles for One Direction being in this movie. Again, turns out to have a lot to do. And a lot of the emotional heavy lifting in the movie is actually given to Harry Styles. Um, Apparently he's, he was uh, he's fine. He was only given One Direction by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> and that was act well. Oh, my um, God. Sorry, it's very oh. late. It's very late. Oh, my word. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's time for Shiradellis. It's time for us to go for ice cream. <laughs> we have a Comic-Con tradition here. Every time we come to Comic-Con, because we're so busy, we don't get to really go out much. Um, and uh, every Saturday night, we, we reward ourselves with a trip to Shiradellis, the ice cream place. And it is so close. It's so tantalizingly close I can taste it. And I think Nick has just brought this podcast to an end with that. And, uh, I, you know, I just want to say as well, thank you so much for your patience. I realize that this is going to be a long podcast. And if you've stuck with us this far, then you'll come with us a little further. Um, but there's so much to talk about at Comic-Con this year. It's been a really interesting year. I don't think it's a bumper crop of, of stuff, but there's so much to talk about. And it's, it's you know, Wow. But yes, thank you for your patience in listening to this. Uh, listening to three tired people droning off rages about movies that you haven't seen and footage you haven't seen. Uh, but uh, Dunkirk, the big film out this week, it is fantastic. Go and see it. I didn't see it in IMAX. I didn't see it in seventy millimeter, but it is great. It's a visual treat. Go and see it in the biggest cinema that you can possibly find. Five stars, deservedly so, for Chris Nolan. Um, and that is it for this very special edition of the Empire Podcast brought to you from Comic-Con. Uh, thank you again so much for your patience uh, and listening to this. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Kamel Nanjiani, who's the star and co-writer of the brilliant comedy The Big Sick. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Blanco. Goodbye all. It's goodbye from Nick. Excelsior. Uh, who's a you're, holy grail of pop culture. You really are. You really, you're, you're a cinematic game changer. It's amazing. Uh, and it's goodbye for me. Uh, I'm off to help these guys uh, eat some ice cream, first and foremost, but also write the 26 pages of award-losing coverage uh, that we're going to write for the next issue of Empire. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Happy Sunday, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.